only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit or other additives. One must apply $35, two months only $60 postponed. Read more at 4spectrum.us. That's number 4spectrum.us. Call 903-714-7767. That's 903-714-7767. Order today. The fruits are grown in chaos, distrust, and economic depression. A weary populace can seek peace only from the solutions they offer. They have worked until suicide has become so common that it generally calls forth no legitimate investigation. They have used the courts, the judges, the medical profession, and even the Constitution to further their ends. America now has over one million of its citizens in prison for political crimes. So who are they? And how long have they been at this? Psychopolitical Warfare is a 70-page color cover booklet that describes the strategy and tactics behind psychopolitics. Psychopolitics is only $10 from The American Voice. Go to www.theamericanvoice.com or call 541-826-9050. That's 541-826-9050 for ordering information. Welcome to the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Devon, editor of the American Voice newspaper. We'll be bringing news, commentary, just a little attitude. So sit tight. Things are about to get Alright. Somebody's going to have to change that thing about about to get ugly, too. Things are already way, way ugly, aren't they? Well, folks, we're going to break right on in. This is the Frank Report. My name is Francis Stephan, and I am your host of the Frank Report right here on American Voice Radio Network. We're heard noon Pacific time, Monday through Friday, and then we're replayed at 10 p.m., okay? I'm working on the schedule. It's about a week and a half behind, but I'm, I'm, I'm doing my very best, folks. I really am. It uh, doesn't seem good enough to me either, so we'll just all have to live with it. But anyway, things are ugly already, and uh, I guess the big news and what I have planned today, at least for the first half to talk about, is the beheading story, okay? Now, first off, I'm a little harsh on a lot of things, and I don't agree with U.S. policy or this administration. I have things to say that you're probably not going to like and you're probably not going to believe. That's fine. The first thing I do want to make very clear is just because I don't agree with the administration or the policies of this country or the actions of this government does not mean that I don't feel the utmost sympathy for the families of all the people lost in Iraq or anywhere else. I feel sympathy for people who lose family members in burning car wrecks. Okay, that's a very ugly way to die also, and I feel very sorry for them. You know, I, I you know, there's what else can you say? You have to have sympathy for the families of these people. 
But then again, there's a whole other group of people that have families too. They're Iraqis, they're Afghanistans. Those people may live in caves, they may have rags on their heads, they may not have the same values Americans do, but they love their families too. They love their mothers and sons and fathers and daughters just like we do. And to have it in our heads that they don't is wrong on so many levels. I shouldn't even have to mention how wrong it really is. All right? An American's life is not worth more than anyone else's life, just like a cop's life is not worth more than a civilian's life. Although that's not how it seems, is it? That's not how the police look at it, is it? Do you see what I keep saying about if you allow your government to go out um, among the world and start acting like this, it will come home to roost on your doorstep. And it already has. Now everybody figures, well, who cares what happens to the Iraqis? By golly, they treated us wrong. Well, with that kind of attitude, you know what? You're next. Just like if we start getting the attitude that who cares about them and their families and their weeping mothers, they don't matter as much as we do. That's when the police start looking at you in the exact same way and saying, you know what? They don't matter as much as we do, us boys in blue. And that's exactly the country you live in. Is that the country you want to live in? Are those the values that made America great? Are those the values that you teach your children? Now, I want to read you something here. We'll get the facts down first. An American civilian who was beheaded in a grisly video posted on an Al-Qaeda-linked website, had been warned to leave Iraq but refused. U.S. officials said Wednesday, the masked men who butchered him claimed they were angered by coalition abuses of Iraqi prisoners. Masked men, unidentifiable, remember. Claimed they were angered by coalition abuses of Iraqi prisoners. There is no coalition abuses, folks. It's United States Army abuses. I don't remember any coalition at that prison. The American captive identified himself as Nick Berg, 26, of Westchester, Pennsylvania, suburb of Philadelphia. His body was found near a highway overpass in Baghdad on Saturday, the same day he was beheaded, U.S. officials said. After pushing Berg to the floor, the men severed his head and held it up for the camera on the video posted Tuesday. It bore the title, Abu Musab al-Zarqawi, shown slaughtering an American. Referring to an associate of Osama bin Laden believed behind a wave of suicide bombings in Iraq. It was unclear whether al-Zarqawi, or whatever, was shown in the video or simply ordered the execution. This group also has sought in the assassination of a U.S. diplomat in Jordan. In the year 2002, the United States has offered a $10 million reward for information leading to his capture or killing. Dead or alive bounty. A U.S. official speaking on the condition of a non-anonymity, uh, remember, masked men. Okay, masked men, unidentifiable. U.S. official now speaking on the condition of anonymity. What's the difference? Put a mask on him. Let him, let him talk. 
said Berg was in Iraq of his own accord and had been advised to leave Iraq but refused. The official refused to elaborate but promised more information as we make it up. I mean, information later Wednesday. According to Berg's family, uh, Berg was a small telecommunications business owner spoke to his parents on March 24th and told them he would return home on March 30th. Now listen, I want you to hear this. All right, this is an important course of events. But he was detained by Iraqi police at a checkpoint in Mosul on March 24th. Now, he spoke to his parents on March 24th, told them he would return on March 30th, but then he was apparently detained the same day he spoke to his parents at a checkpoint by the Iraqi police. Now, the Iraqi police, remember, are working for the United States government at this point in time, March 24th. Berg was then turned over to United States officials. And then he was detained for 13 days by them. Hey, wait a minute. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm losing touch here. He's in the custody of U.S. officials for 13 days. What would that be? March, uh, no, March 3rd, that's like April 5th. Yeah, on April 5th, the Bergs filed suit in federal court in Philadelphia contending their son was being held illegally by the United States military. The next day, Berg was released. I guess the Iraqi prisoners don't have any access to the United States federal court. He told his parents he had not been mistreated. His family last heard from him April 9th, but it was unclear when and where he was abducted. Folks. Folks. Are we seeing a problem here? This guy was a prisoner of the United States military. And then all of a sudden... They say he's released, he makes a phone call, and then he disappears. Why was he being detained by the United States military? Well, nobody says. I guess that's not important. Now, of course, in the video, in the video, the executioners, the masked men, said they had tried to trade him for prisoners at Abu Granab, or Granib whatever, you know, the bad prison. Quote, For the mothers and the wives of American soldiers, we tell you that we offered the U.S. administration to exchange this hostage for some of the detainees in the prison, and they refused. So, we tell you that the dignity of the Muslim men and women in the prison and others is not redeemed except by blood and souls. You will not receive anything from us but coffins after coffins, slaughtered in this way. Now, I want to point something out here. Remember, I do feel sympathy for the Berg family and all his friends, and and I feel sympathy for him, and I pray for his soul. But people die every day. Dead is dead. Bad deaths are bad, but it's all dead. In the big picture, this is one man. Okay? Do not forget, there are 14 prisoners who have died in these prisons. Now, the U.S. Army only has ruled two of them homicides. 
of course, you know, what what are the others? Die of old age? What? I guess we'll never know. However, like I said, I'm going to bring out a question here that most of you aren't going to like. And a lot of you aren't going to believe. But just bear with me. This is obviously a crime. doesn't matter what's going on. Just like abusing and murdering or killing or uh, allowing to die 14 Iraqi prisoners while in your custody is a crime, beheading someone is also a crime. It's all murder, folks. And murder is murder. I mean, whether you cut somebody's head off or shoot them through the heart, murdering them with malice is murder one. Death penalty. Boom, you're gone. It's all the same. They can only kill you once. So the point is here, this is a crime. So let's look at it as a crime, shall we? Now, a lot of you out there watch these cop shows, and you know as well as I do that the very first thing they do when there's a crime is they look around for motive, who benefited, who had a reason, who's benefiting from the crime. And they question them first, don't they? Now, that doesn't make them guilty off the bat. Just because you benefit from a crime doesn't make you guilty of that crime. But it does make you the first suspect. Correct? So if we look at this as a crime, and we look at the beheading as a crime, and we say, okay, this is obviously a crime, this is obviously murder, a heinous murder, who benefits? Well, what was going on just before this? And now, this charge has been made over and over throughout the years. That every time, and Bill Clinton, the Republicans, the Republican Party, and all the Republican talk shows, all got on Bill Clinton every single time he did it. Something be going bad in his administration, he left a stain on some girl's dress, or something else happened. He would make a military strike and a diversion to get himself off the front page and get something else on it. Isn't that true? Don't you believe that, Mr. and Mrs. Republican? You believed it when Bill Clinton was president, didn't you? You believed that he would go missile attack an aspirin factory just to get his name out of the front pages. You all believed he killed Ron Brown because he was about to spill the beans and really wreck things for him. Now you believe that. I know you do because I heard all the talk shows. I've read all the stuff. I believe it too. Of course he would. These people's power means more thing, more to them than your life or my life or anybody's life ever will. But now, when George Jr., the little wooden ventriloquist dummy, is in the White House, the Republicans are going, oh, that, that, this is all politics. Oh, you foul, foul, foul. Wait a minute. Do you think... That the Bush crime family is any different than the Clinton crime family? Do you think that the Bush crime family is not capable of the same acts than the Clinton crime family is? If not, turn the dial. Because you're too naive to be alive. You need a bodyguard. The thing is, they're absolutely, they're the same. Now, do you really think? Now, let's look at how bad 
this prison deal really was. For one, it was turning the American popular opinion against the whole Iraqi occupation, which means they were turning against President Bush, whose ratings just a couple of days ago were the lowest ever. Do you understand this? This is a fact, okay? This is not the emotional, let's watch a videotape of somebody being tortured and murdered. These are facts. Just a few days ago, his approval ratings were the lowest he's ever had. The rest of the world was starting to look at the U.S. occupation in Iraq as brutal, illegal, and perhaps they won't support it anymore. And that could snowball and escalate to where these countries around the world actually put their money where their mouth is. And instead of just saying they don't agree and they don't like it and they're pulling their troops out, they may actually, now everybody hold your breath, decide that they will start conducting their international trade with euros instead of United States Federal Reserve notes. And if that happened, folks, kaboom. You have no idea. You folks out there that are not paying attention to the euro, dollar, oil, uh, food for oil, the whole money situation, you're really missing the big story here, folks. This is what it's about. If uh, even a percentage of the world starts demanding euros for their international trade, the U.S. economy hits the wall and explodes into little pieces. And we'll all be sucking depleted uranium dust. So, how important is the prison thing? Very important. President loses his election, the U.S. economy hits the wall and explodes. Oh, this is very bad. Do you not think that it's at least possible that the United States administration, to save the presidency, to save the economy, would get a couple of CIA operatives to sacrifice a man's life on videotape? Do you think it's at least possible? Well, of course it's possible. But the fact is, nobody believes it. Oh, well, my government wouldn't do that. Your government's already done that over and over and over again. Look at Ron Brown. <laughs> Look at Ron Brown. You, oh, dies in a plane crash from a bullet wound. Huh? Excuse me? How does that work? I'm not going to waste time on all the examples because, you know, read a little history. Of course they would. Of course it's possible. And you know what? It worked like a charm because everybody's emotions are all pumped up. Everybody's oh so sad. Oh so outraged. Oh so let's get them dirty rotten Arabs for doing this dirty rotten thing. We'll be back in a couple minutes. I'll give you the 800 number. 1-800-433-1429. You can call in. Yell at me. Give me your opinion. Tell me how wrong I am. 1-800-433-1429. We'll be back in a couple. Stay tuned.
Vitamin E prevents internal blood clots, but not all vitamin E is equal. Would you like to get a vitamin E that makes blood flow more smoothly than Plavix, but with no harmful side effects? For Spectrum Natural Unesterified, Vitamin E Complex has been called WD-40 for your blood. It actually lubricates the blood while it dissolves plaque. It prevents platelet aggregation and internal clotting. It neutralizes smoke, fumes, waste, and other harmful free radicals. Doctors report relief from angina, painful leg cramps, strokes, fibrocystic breast tumors, circulation problems, and much more. Get one bottle for $35 postpaid, two bottles for only $60 postpaid. Restore this vital nutrient removed from your food supply through food processing. Read more at 4spectrum.us, spelled number 4spectrum.us. Call 800-581-8906. That's 800-581-8906. Order today. Whether you call it commercial redemption or accept it for value, The Commerce Game Exposed is the book that will help you understand this process. The fact is, there is no lawful money in circulation. The explanation and details as to how this happened are enlightening, and the instructions concerning what one can do with this information are detailed and easy to understand. Utilizing this process is not for everyone, but learning how lawful money has been turned into commercial debt instruments should be of concern to everyone. The Commerce Game Exposed book is a good tool to learn the commercial nature of the new world order. To order The Commerce Game Exposed, go to www.theamericanvoice.com or call 541-826-9050. That's 541 back. we got to get going. we got to get moving. got a lot of stuff to do. got a long way to go and a short time to get there, that sort of thing. Anyway, uh, i got a little programming note. Victoria Joy, those of you out there who have listened to her or gone to any of her workshops, you know what I'm talking about. Victoria Joy knows what she's talking about, and she's got some information uh, to share today. She called in, and uh, she'll be uh, on after the 1230 mark. So after this uh, next break, you can uh, look forward to listening to Victoria Joy. And also, we'll be taking calls during that time. So I'll tell you what, though, if you called her while, while Victoria's on, you better keep it short because it's going to be keep it short and get your question and bye-bye. Open the phone line for somebody else. 1-800-433-1429. Now, if you want to talk to me, you can do that now. Anyway... What we're talking about, what I'm talking about, is this beheading, and we're looking at it as a crime, okay? Because I don't think there's anybody out there that's going to argue with me that this is a crime, right? The fact is, though, the pieces don't add up to the story we're getting, all right? Because the Muslims are not benefiting from this. How are are the... Okay, now, it's been said that these people are associated with Al-Qaeda, right? The masterminds of 911, the super terrorists of the world... These, apparently, are not stupid people. They can take Cessna plane uh, you know, lessons and, therefore, right away know how to fly a 757. All right? These are not stupid people, are they? Because if they are stupid people, then I don't think they'd be capable of carrying out an attack, a coordinated professional attack, such as happened on 911. So either they're stupid or they're not stupid. Now, if they're going to be blamed for 911, then we have to say that they're not stupid. 
world opinion, U.S. opinion, was flying against the United States government. This prison thing was blowing up in the face, and it's going to continue to blow up in the face, although they're trying to divert attention by this grisly, gruesome crime that was committed on videotape. Now, there's no doubt it was a crime. There's no doubt it was heinous and grisly. The question is, who actually did it? Now, I know who said did it. I know what was on the video. Folks, uh, you know, it was a poor quality video, and uh, gosh, it's not like videos can't be altered. You cannot always believe what you see, and I'm not even going there, okay? I'm not even going that the video's a fraud. I'm not even going to go there. But just remember, it could be a fraud because videos can be manipulated, just like audio can these days. And if you start with a poor quality video, you'd never know. So you can't even believe what you see. Now, but like I said, I'm not going there. We're going to assume that the video is legitimate and this act really happened. The fact is, it is a crime. Who benefited? Not the Muslims. So who did benefit? Well, the Bush administration is the biggest benefactor of this act. Now, I'm not blaming the Bush administration. I have no evidence that says the Bush administration did this. All I'm saying is they are the biggest beneficiary, and that's indisputable. Now the attention has been diverted from the crimes committed by U.S. forces in the prison to the crimes committed by the supposed Al-Qaeda associate that were all wearing masks. Folks, behind those masks could have been lily-white, blonde-haired, blue-eyed CIA operatives, for all you know. I'm not saying they were. I'm just saying they could be. You don't know. We don't have the facts. So all we have to do is look at the possibilities and investigate it like an investigator investigating a crime who doesn't have the facts or evidence yet. You have to start somewhere. You always start with who benefits from a crime. Doesn't make them guilty, just makes them a suspect. And folks, the Bush administration has to be suspect in this. I'm not saying they're guilty, but somebody has to legitimately look at this, stop being so emotional and going, oh my gosh, we've got to kill as many Arabs as we can. And this is basically what's going on. But this is the desired effect. Who benefits? Are they that stupid? Is Al-Qaeda that stupid? To three days after, or four days after 60 Minutes releases their you know, prison thing, world opinions turning against the United States, is Al-Qaeda that stupid to shoot themselves in the head? Turn world opinion back against themselves. This is why I asked you, are they stupid or aren't they stupid? If they're stupid, then they're too stupid to carry out 911. If they're not stupid, they probably didn't do something as stupid as they're being accused of now. The pieces don't add up is what I'm saying. This is a very emotional event. It's a horrible act. But to run around blaming just to blame is not the smart thing to do. Just like with the Sasser worm. The first thing is to blame the hackers and call for new legislation to put hackers in prison for life or maybe execute them even because they inconvenienced your computer. The fact is you're not looking at who's to blame. Let's look at who left the back doors open on purpose. It's Microsoft. So don't start blaming the wrong people. But that's what's happening. That's what always happens. This war has been run badly from the beginning. The war wasn't run so bad. It's after the war. Now, they have a, uh, 
they have a diary that, of course, this is anonymous to protect her. Uh, but there's a soldier here. I hate it here. She said on tape, I want to come home. I want to be a civilian again. We actually shot two prisoners today. One got shot in the chest for swinging a pole against our people on the feed team. One got shot in the arm. We don't know if the one we shot in the chest is dead yet. Folks, you know what? Does this sound at all like Israeli justice, what you see against the Palestinians? Some kids throw rocks at the soldiers so they shoot them dead? Welcome to the American prison in Iraq. Folks, we'll be back in a few seconds, uh, a few minutes, and uh, hopefully Victoria Joy will call back in, and we'll have her on. We'll get off this nasty, grisly subject and start talking about some interesting stuff. from gingivitis, sore and sensitive gums, bad breath, canker sores? Use Vitamir toothpaste and mouthwash for healthy mouth and gums. Order now. Call toll-free 1-888-558-8482. That's 1-888-558-8482. Vitamir uses no fluoride, no saccharin, and no aspartame. Vitamir mouthwash and toothpaste are 100% natural products that fights gum and periodontal disease with zinc and folic acid to assist your body's immune system and uses the ancient powers of clove and myrrh to purify and soothe. Aids in healing mouth sores from braces, heals bleeding gums, a natural teeth whitening that works, and eliminates bad breath with regular use. Order online at www.vitamir.com. That's www.vitamir.com or call toll-free 1-888-558-8482. That's 888-558-8482. Listen to Colonel Bo Greitz on Freedom Call every Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday from 2 until 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the American Voice Radio, broadcasting on shortwave, the Internet, and satellite. Replays at 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Highly decorated Green Beret Colonel Greitz brings insight into the worldwide escalation of terrorism. Tune in to Freedom Call Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday from 2 until 3 p.m. Pacific Time. For more information, www.bogreitz.com. Time is money and knowledge is power. That's why you need the Basic Research Library CD from the American Voice Now. This CD contains the Federalist Papers, which are the definitive writings illustrating the intent of the Constitution, and the Anti-Federalist Papers, which read like a crystal ball to everything gone wrong concerning the present-day Constitution. This CD also contains Bovier's Law Dictionary and the Uniform Commercial Code, plus the inaugural speeches of the U.S. Presidents, the U.N. Charter, NAFTA, Hitler's Mein Kampf, the full Communist Manifesto, the Patriot Act 1 and 2, the model anti-bioterrorism law, the Homeland Security Bill, the FBI's Project Medigo, and too much more to mention here. The CD contains over a thousand files. To order your CD, go to www.theamericanvoice.com or call us at 541-826-9050. That's 541-826-9050 for ordering information. This is the American Voice Radio Network, broadcasting live on satellite at Galaxy 7. 
Transponder 12, Audio 8.1. We're on the Internet at AmericanVoiceRadio.com. You can hear American Voice Radio 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Stephan, and you are listening on American Voice Radio Network. We just got done, uh, you know, I gave you my, my, my take, my news report on the grisly, gruesome, horrible beheading that I guess there's a video and this big story all over the place, and gave you, tried to slow it down a little bit and say, listen, this is very emotional, it's, it's ugly, it's nasty, it's a terrible crime, but look, don't run around blaming until you have some, you know, that you look at this and look at it as a crime because I don't think there's any argument out there that this is definitely a crime. So try to look at it as a crime and say, okay, who benefits? That's the first place because none of us have any evidence. Okay, we have a tape with people with masks on, you know, who say they did something for some reason. We don't even know who they are. They could be, like I said, blonde-haired, blue-eyed guys behind those masks. We don't know. So if when you have no evidence and you have a crime, you investigate, you got to start somewhere. Usually it's with the motive and who benefited. It doesn't make them guilty. It just makes them suspects. So if that's the case, then I think we have to at least consider that the Bush administration could be suspect, seeing as how they are the biggest beneficiaries from this terrible crime. Anyway, enough about that because you're going to hear plenty about all this all through the day and night for probably as long as the, uh, it takes for the prison thing to go away. Uh, we're going to do something different for the second half here. We've got Victoria Joy on the line, and while Victoria is here, we're still able to take calls 1-800-433-1429. That's 1-800-433-1429. And uh, you just go ahead and call in if you have a quick question for Victoria, because I'm going to cut you short, because we want to give people a chance to call in. We've only got the one line. I know, poor us. Only one 800 number? Yeah, that's it for now. But uh, we welcome your calls, but uh, give Victoria a chance to get started here, and then go ahead and call in with your questions when Victoria asks for them. Victoria, welcome. Hi. How you doing? Wonderful. You're not going to believe what I'm going to lay on you today. You just had, uh, you just got done with your San Francisco workshop, right? I did. It was awesome. We had people there from 10 or 12 states again. They're coming from all over, and the day after the workshop, wouldn't you know how things work out? No, actually it was two days after. I guess it was yesterday, Tuesday. I have confirmation that everything we've learned about redemption is valid. And I have confirmation from a high-up source. Now, this is the kind of information that does not go out to the public. It can only be given to those people who are and recognize themselves as the private living souls. 
but I do want to say that this is the kind of material now that's going to be going on in the last two workshops that I have scheduled because people have had questions about whether or not everything that was taught about redemption is valid, and we now know for a fact. Well, now, that is pretty important now. But I'm going to put myself in the uh, listener's position because, well, I am in the listener's position. And the thing is, you've got to give us a little more than that, Victoria. I mean, I'm not telling you to spill the beans or anything, but, you know, people out there who have, uh, who have followed the redemption process, right, they've heard a lot of stories. You know, they've heard a lot of things, and a lot of times it doesn't turn out to be that way. They've heard a lot of good things, and it turns out to be not as good as they heard. So can you tell? Can you give a, any of the listeners just a little bit more? Do you want me in the Matrix again? In the Matrix? Well, I don't know. Can you dodge bullets? <laughs> you know, I, you know, uh, you know. You know, a lot of this is not meant to be out there, and a lot of people who were doing it wrong and those people who are out there saying that it's false and doesn't work aren't meant to hear it. Right, I, and I'm not. I, I'm not calling to be cryptic, but I am calling to let you know that if anyone is interested in actually seeing the evidence and the proof that this worked, without spilling the beans to those who aren't intended to hear it, which is what the people in authority are doing. They're keeping the information from those who aren't intended to hear it. And if I put it out there, then I have violated my vow to stay in the private and don't meddle in the public's business. Now, I don't know how your radio station is set up, Um you know, are, are people in the public able to access it? Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, you, okay. If you can See turn then. on your radio, your shortwave radio, yeah. your Internet, yeah, you can access it. Well, then I have a problem. I, I only wanted to let you know, mm-hmm. because you do have a following, that all of this gobbledygook about that there is no such thing, there is no such redemption, it doesn't work, Right. all this kind of stuff. People going to jail, all that Okay, stuff. they're going to jail because they don't understand it, and they're not willing to go and learn it. And they're, and they're telling people like you, I don't want to go and learn it until I hear that there's proof. Well, you know what? Which came first, the chicken or the egg? Oh, I understand. I'm just saying, you know, I know this is the feelings out there, and I... I know know it is, too, but see, unless I called in and at least even told you this much, then those naysayers would still be out there naysaying. So I'm offering people the opportunity to see it and hear it by themselves. Okay, well... And all they have to do is get to a workshop, and I only have two left this year, so... Well, tell you what, why don't you tell people how to do that? Well, in a minute. Um, There's another thing that I wanted to say, and that is that everything that we're learning about the bifurcation of people being charged is also true. Now, bifurcation, explain that. There is a trial aspect when charges come down, and then there is a sentencing aspect when charges come down. They are two separate commercial offers. If you look at uh, 27 CFR 7211, it says all crimes are commercial. That's true. I have looked at that, and folks, it's true. 
And I ask people, what's the key word or phrase in there that indicates to you that it's all commerce? And the, the clue is kidnapping. You see, why is kidnapping a commercial crime? Right. Because they're taking the kid from the parents. They're asking the ransom of the parents. It should be between the kidnapper and the parents. So why does not only the local law enforcement get involved, but why does the national or federal law enforcement get involved? You know, not to, not to deviate, but it is part of that, because I did look that up because I found that very interesting when I heard it. So I figured, okay, fine, I'll go look at that. And sure enough, it is there. And not only is kidnapping there, so is possession of marijuana, mm-hmm. which you, you wonder, well, wait a minute. This is commercial? Well, of course, that's simple to see it's commercial, but why is it important to make all crimes commercial? Which was the question I had when I was first looking at it. Now, by now, I've figured that out, but yeah. you know, at the time, it was like, well, gosh, if it's a crime, it's a crime, it's a crime. Why is it important to make these commercial crimes? Well, basically, because whatever it is that you have acquired through the use of the liability instruments belongs to them. So all this ranting and raving about the the uh, Patriot Act, that they can break down your door and come in and take anything from your house, has nothing to do with a violation of the laws, the Constitution, or anything. It has to do with the fact that they were acquired with their liability instruments. They belong to them just as surely as the sack of flour that Toby the slave ran down to the store to get with the master's gold belongs to the master. Now let me ask you something, Victoria. Hypothetical. Here's you and me, and I say, well, gee, um, here's this house, my place here. And uh, you say, well, I, I think I'd like to buy that. And we come to an agreement, all right, whatever it is. And then you go, okay, and on any piece of paper, like we sign over there, and it's an agreement that we both sign, and you say, okay, this has been transferred to me for, and you put on there, instead of an amount, you put on there uh, some, you know, consideration, acceptable consideration or whatever. You're you're not specific. Can I stop you here for one second? Because already I can tell that you're jumping over the key word or phrase. The key word or phrase is not amount of consideration. It is this. This. I am acquiring this. What is this? This is all that you have to deliver to me, which is your interest in it. And your interest in it is only possession. Because you didn't get it with the asset instruments or the exemption, you got it with liability instruments. So all you're transferring to me is the lot, the parcel, which is on top of the land. You're only delivering to me what you can deliver, which is your interest in it, which isn't what you think it is, unless you've redeemed the property first. Which is why all of these people, oh man, half of my San Francisco workshop were people who were charged with trying trying to put um, property into a trust, okay? Okay. If you went out and took your neighbor's property and threw it over your fence and wrote the word trust on your fence, (laughs) (laughs) that's what you're doing. You have not redeemed that property, 
And so anything you put in a trust, and I don't care what you name the trust, I don't care whether it's an IBC, an NBC, a PBX, what you name your trust, you are still putting things in there that don't belong to you, and then you're getting upset when somebody comes to look in the trust because you're calling it trust-busting, they're breaking into the private. Well, I got news for you. If you put my belongings over your fence, I'd have a right to bust down that fence, too. That's true. So every one of these people that are coming to these workshops with that as their issue, as their problem, have learned that if you redeem that property first correctly, now you don't even need the trust. Now, I'm, okay, I don't want you to – I know you don't want to really give too much information over the radio, but let me ask you, is the redemption of property – now, let's just make it very simple – uh, property that's all there's no mortgage there's no supposed debts left on it uh, other than the property tax thing but you know it's it's free and clear as most people would see it uh, is the is, is the redemption of that property simple or complicated simple okay and it has nothing to do with that there's nothing left on it okay. because there's always something left on it and what's left on it is the presumption that it was still pledged and registered to the state for an asset, to be counted as an asset. Okay. And until you redeem it and get it out of there, that presumption is going to go with it whether there's any liability um, encumbrance on it or not. Well, that was what I was asking, the mm-hmm. redemption of the property. It's, mm-hmm. it's simple. Very it's, simple. Okay. Well, Very simple. You see, that's the thing that people need to you know, understand that this is – you know, you don't have to be a rocket science, uh, scientist to do a lot of this stuff. Now, no. some things are more complicated than others, and some circumstances are more complicated, no doubt, than others are. But it, it, some circumstances can be very simple. Well, it's just like the people that are, I think, up in Oregon right now, an elderly grandparent couple, are ready to go for sentencing. Evidently, they were sentenced. And now it looks like they want a resentencing. And so you say to yourself, why in the world do they need a resentencing? Because all that sentencing is, is an offer again, another commercial offer to say, look, you kind of like didn't pass the trial aspect of it because you came in here and either you argued or you hired an attorney to argue or the court appointed an attorney for you whom you allowed to argue as if you were the state-created entity that was charged on the charging instrument. But we're going to give you an opportunity here now to see if you have wised up any, if you've learned anything, which is what God's children are supposed to do. They're supposed to learn and study, not sit there on the couch and twiddle their thumbs and say, woe is me, while they watch Married with Children or other garbage. If you learn that the sentencing is nothing more than a determination of how you're going to discharge the assessment that the trial resulted in. You see, a sentence is nothing more than an assessment, isn't it? Yeah. So it's commercial again. That's true. Now, now, 
we've got a couple minutes uh, before the next break. But one thing I, from my experience uh, in the past, I wanted to ask you about this, uh, and maybe you can give a little insight. And again, I don't expect a lot of information, just insight, mainly to give people encouragement that things can be done. Uh, it's not always, a lot of times, okay, the property tax. You don't pay your property tax. It comes up that, well, you know, we're going to seize your property unless you're going to go to court. Uh, so you say, fine, I'll go to court and I'll argue this. But the thing is, uh, or you don't actually say I'll argue it, but you go, okay, fine, of course, where I need to go, that's where I'll go. And they tell you, well, now you have to pay a filing fee. And if you don't pay the filing fee, they won't even look at any of your stuff. What do you do then? They just go and rule, you know? I, I mean, people get into this hopeless situation when when you're doing things, and they're just, it seems as though, whether they are or not is another question, but it seems as though they're just ignoring everything you do. No, what they're doing is testing you to see if you know what to do next. Okay. See, there's the kicker in it. It's all, there's always a kicker in it, and it's all a test to find out if you know what you're doing. The property tax. What if the property tax was nothing more than property management? So every every year they assess you $2,000 for the property tax, which mm-hmm. is a, an assessment fee for their managing it. Because if anything happened, you could call on their police department or their fire department for protection and... If you wanted to hire a private property manager, you could, couldn't you? Sure. Okay. So could you also hire a private police or protection service? Sure. You bet. They advertise on TV all the time. Could you hire a private fire department? Yeah. Most people don't, don't even realize that. Yes, of course you can. There are volunteer fire departments all over the United States. However... What's to stop you from, once you redeem your property out of the public public management into the private to where they can't come on it unless they have your permission, why don't you go and contract with the fire department yourself? What's to stop you from contracting with the fire department? Victoria, well, we got to take a break. We'll be right back in a few minutes. Okay. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be back with Victoria Joy. If you want to call in, 1-800-433-1429. Am I the only one with questions? I doubt it. 1-800-433-1429. Grandma used to say, Johnny, eat your greens. She knew something about health that we've mostly forgotten. Most of us get little or no greens daily. Forest Spectrum Chlorella gives five times the chlorophyll of any plant on earth for cleansing inside out and 50 times more lutein than spinach for healthy eyes. All eight essential amino acids, over 60% high-grade protein, and numerous vitamins and minerals. The cracked cell wall absorbs toxins, even heavy metals, and flushes them out of your system. Forest Spectrum Clean Green Superfood is a whole food concentrate with no negative side effects. 100% plant source dehydrated chlorella, pressed into tablets, using no binders, fillers, excipients, colorings, or other additives. One month supply, $35, two months, only $60 postpaid. Read more at fourspectrum.us. That's number four, spectrum.us. Call 903-714-7767. That's 903-714-7767. Order today. 
Time is money and knowledge is power. That's why you need the Basic Research Library CD from the American Voice Now. This CD contains the Federalist Papers, which are the definitive writings illustrating the intent of the Constitution, and the Anti-Federalist Papers, which read like a crystal ball to everything gone wrong concerning the present-day Constitution. This CD also contains Bovier's Law Dictionary and the Uniform Commercial Code, plus the inaugural speeches of the U.S. Presidents, the U.N. Charter, NAFTA, Hitler's Mein Kampf, the full Communist Manifesto, the Patriot Act 1 and 2, the model anti-bioterrorism law, the Homeland Security Bill, the FBI's Project Medigo, and too much more to mention here. The CD contains over a thousand files. To order your CD, go to www.theamericanvoice.com or call us at 541-826-9050. That's 541-826-9050 for ordering information. This is the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Steph, and you're listening on American Voice Radio Network. And we have a surprise special guest today, Victoria Joyce here, and she just got done in San Francisco at a workshop and has come to share a little bit of information and encourage you to go, you know, get together and get to a workshop uh, that's coming up. There's only two left for this year. Uh, but I don't know, uh, Victoria, if people got in touch and got enough people together, would you maybe add a workshop where they might live? Sure, sure. I, I want this information out. I can't tell you. It's so easy to stop being sentenced because there's only two ways you can you can discharge it. One is in the public. One is in the private. If you discharge this in the public, what you're saying is, I want some corporation out there, I don't know whether it would be like Walmart or somebody, who, who will buy the bond to discharge whatever the assessment came down in the trial as. And the assessment is the sentence, okay? Uh, whether it's restitution, reparation, um, time in jail, whatever. Seizure. And they hold your body in jail as surety until that corporation who bought the bond, which discharged this to the injured or damaged party gets paid back. Is that like a seizure, like when they seize your property? and the, Yeah, like, they're seizing your body to hold it as surety okay. for this sentence. Now, you can pay it or discharge it in the private, which is to tender your exemption for it and ask them, basically, tell me what part of the assessment cannot be discharged using my exemption. Now, if they come back and say that there's any part at all that cannot be discharged with the exemption, then they've created involuntary servitude, haven't they? Yep. So everything has to be converted. That's why it's all commercial, Frank. Okay. Because it can all be con- converted into some commercial debt or liability. And there's one, there, there's because we got a real short section here, and I think there's one thing important, because like I said, a lot of the listeners out there have are aware of this process, have tried it to you know, some extent, some of them, and I just want to make clear and get your, you know, get them to say, yep, that's right, that anything commercially, you make a mistake, it can be undone. You can unmistake it. You can do it right. You've done Absolutely. it wrong. You can turn around and do it right and make it okay again. Right. 
Even if you're in there having served seven years of a 14-year sentence, you can go back and undo it and open this up and get out of that jail cell. See, I think that's very important that people understand because a lot of people have tried and and done something wrong and it didn't work out for them and they got to understand that, you know, you can undo this in commerce. Things, mistakes can be corrected. They just didn't know what they were doing. And but now the other thing you can do is that you can go to the judge and say, don't you have a duty now that I've offered my exemption to discharge that asset or that, um, I'm sorry, assessment to tell the third party who intends to buy the bond that I've offered my exemption and that if they give you liability instruments, which can only increase or augment the assessment, that they are creating involuntary servitude in me, that unless they can show that the instruments that they're tending with their bonds is going to discharge the debt better or more effectively than what I'm tendering, don't judge, don't you have to tell them that? Now, you know the judge has to tell them that. Otherwise, the judge has just shifted the liability to the idiots who are out there buying these bonds that hold people in prison. Well, and, and you know, the the other thing, too, like when you said that, well, they're just withholding information from people who, you know, can't have it, you know, that they right. aren't going to do it. Now, that begs the question, when you have a duty to speak, to not speak is equivalent to fraud. Now, don't these officials have a duty to tell people that, well, actually, you don't have to do this. You could do it this way. And they're withholding it. And when we ask them and they won't speak, that it is actually constituting fraud. Does the slave have a duty to teach the master how to conduct his business? Okay, good point. Good point. But as servants, don't they have a duty to speak when they're told to speak? (laughs) Are you going to believe the servant or are you supposed to set the rules? See, this is what I'm teaching now. I'm teaching that it's all about the records. I call this new section in my workshop Dueling Banjos. Right. That's <laughs> incredible stuff. You, you've brought that up last yeah, time. Yeah, okay. and there's two sets of records. Who sets them? Who creates the records? Well, they do and you do. Yeah, you do. You do every time. And sometimes you do it by not speaking. Right. So if they are committing a fraud by not speaking, is that a two-edged sword? You betcha. Hello? Victoria, we're running out of time. I want you to tell people, for one, where your two existing workshops this year are going to be, how to contact you for them, and then I want you to tell people quickly how they can set up a workshop where they are. All righty. I have a new party now who's handling workshops. Her name is Iris, I-R-I-S. She's at 407-962-0588. And she is setting up one now in San Diego for June 25th, 26th, and 27th. We're running out of time. Where's the next one? And the one this weekend is in Boston. It's this weekend, the 14th, 15th, and 16th, in the um, Holiday Inn in Boston. You call Kevin at 508-339-9300. Victoria, I gotta, I gotta cut it short, but I'll tell you what. Stay on the line. I'm gonna get this information from you, and I'll put together a little bump, and we'll run it uh, throughout the, you know, till till Boston. Uh, well, actually, for about a few days. Uh, that way, it'll Thanks. give people a chance to call. Stay on Thanks. the line. I'll, I'll, talk, I'll get with you afterwards, folks. We gotta go. You've been listening to the Frank Report on the American Voice Radio Network, and thanks for listening. Don't forget to tune in next time.
have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, and Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. This is like, I can't remember the dance programs they had back when I was a kid on TV, but it looks like for a minute like we were going into one of them. Um, Dave Clark. Dave Clark. Band span. Band span. Band span. Dance. (laughs) See, you get us off to a good start and you're bound to hear anything. Anyway, in case you didn't hear. Today is Friday, November 20th, 2015, and uh, we were just checking to see that uh, you were all there, and I hope you enjoyed the music, and uh, good afternoon, Al. Hello, Melody. We're here today. We do have a guest today, Rob West. He'll be joining us after the uh, first break of the day uh, for the two segments. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about bonds. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about the uh, IMF and and placing uh, uh, China into the um, SDRs. The SDRs. Uh, Christine Lagarde at one point said, oh, maybe we should wait until next year. And now all of a sudden she's anxious and she is supporting uh, that they be included sooner than later. So with that, let's get to the prices for gold and silver today. We have gold today, a little bit of pressure after the nice run-up yesterday, it down 490 at 1077.90. Silver's down 13, 14.26. Platinum is down 2 at 857. Palladium was up big, almost 4% today, up 20 at $565. The USDX today was stronger, 0.61 at 99.60. Crude oil, let me get an update on that. I'm not sure. I'm looking at a, uh, I don't know 
if I'm looking at a close on oil, the price is 39.39.15 to the downside. And we'll be also be talking a little bit about that with Rob West. I think he has a report on the amount of oil that is just, you know, just being held in cargo ships. Um, Off Galveston. Yeah. They could sink them all and just let it flood the uh, Gulf of Mexico like they did with the when they uh, they had the blowout on the well. Because the Gulf and the the live the animals there they're used to little extra oil and they could. uh, Well, they get that nice bath afterwards. mm -hmm. But uh, anyway, so. We'll be talking about that later on in the program. Let's uh, go to the markets and, hey, it doesn't really matter what goes on and around the world. You know, it's, yes. all, it's all about the stock markets. Uh, the Dow is off uh, its highs of the day, but it was up 91 points a day at 17,823. The NASDAQ up 31 at 5,104. The S&P up 7 at 2,089. 10-year yield still holding 2.26. Pressure on the euro, as we would see with the dollar down seven nine one oh six, and I did have uh, something we were going to talk about parity on the uh, on the euro and the U.S. dollar. Uh, we'll maybe we'll hold that uh, uh, for Monday's program, but uh, I do believe we it's a very good possibility we will see that parity, and it'll be interesting to see what does it. Uh, you know what unfolds what happens when the euro and the dollar uh meets parity uh is this a way are they doing this intentionally is it a way that uh you know perhaps um you know maybe to offset adding the uh i uh, china's currency into the imf um, there's a lot of things that are going on, and and we'll talk about that uh, later. But the euro pressure down seven nine at one oh six. We have uh, Europe. Uh, Germany was up just fractionally. London basically no change. The big the big move was Hong Kong, and that was only a little over one percent. Uh, yeah, it used to be a, a move. A move of one percent was a fairly nice move. <laughs> you know, it was it was a big deal. And uh, but now with the numbers and the um, you know what they see in the markets today, uh, it's just a fractional move anymore, one percent. So um, let's see, anything else, Sal? Let's see. Well, one of the things that interests me is gold is down below forty bucks a, a barrel, and I'm looking at that at the same time that the U.S. dollar index is almost up to one hundred. Almost up to the, and neither the numbers don't actually mean anything remarkable. We we can does if if the U.S. dollar index goes up to 100 and exceeds it, is it a psychologically significant point, or is it just another number on the scale? I, it's probably just another number on the scale, but still you look at it and you say, hmm, dollars maybe going up over 100, not today, but maybe next week sometime. Crude oil. How far does crude oil have to go down before the dollar goes to 100? I'm curious. Do we need uh, $38 per barrel crude oil? Is there any correlation between the crude oil and the U.S. dollar index? I know there's some vague cor- correlation. I won't argue that there's a significant, but just crossed my mind. Mm-hmm. It's like reading tea leaves. Look in the cup, and I see all the tea leaves packed up over on one side of the cup, and I wonder if that means something or if somebody's just been shaking the cup. 
Well, certainly. I mean, if you're looking at the petrodollar, it would would definitely have an impact on our currency and so forth. But, uh, you know, it has a lot of uh, multinational corporations. They don't want a stronger dollar. It hurts their bottom line. American corporations don't want it. That's true. The American multinational corporations, they don't like a stronger dollar. It also hurts our exports. Uh, However, it makes products coming into this country cheaper. And where does the U.S. get most of its products that people out there buy? And, you know from outside of the country. So, you know, people get to look at this and see, um, um, you know, prices uh, that are lower. Uh, Is it an indication of deflation? No, it's it's a matter of the markets being rigged. And uh, so it was a matter of us exporting our inflation. So, um, but everything will be, be you know, I believe everything will come back to, um, haunt all these, you know, with all these manipulations. Uh, Day of reckoning is coming, and uh, we will see prices and everything else adjust. Uh, reality is reality. Uh, we know what happens when markets are rigged. We know what happens when you look at how upside down the world is, um, the, the violence in this world anymore. The, I mean, it it it, it surprises me that gold is having as difficult time as it is. Now, I'm not suggesting that it should be 8000 today. However, it does surprise me that uh, they have been able to suppress these prices to the level that they have. But it also means one day you're going to wake up and you're going to see gold skyrocketing. You won't have a chance. Product will disappear so quickly it'll make your head swim. And I'm just not saying that in order to create some sales. That is what's going to happen. And for those of you who wait, when you're ready to buy it, right now you think your funds are, you know, bringing in your dividends uh, with the stock market. And, uh, you know, you've seen things reverse itself. You've seen the stock market go to 6000 to 8000 You see it pull back 2000 and we're back up, you know, close to 18000 again. And I get it. You know, there aren't, you know, you can't put your money in the banks anymore. Who would with the way the system is handled? Uh, there's no interest that's being paid, and soon you'll be paying the banks to hold your money. So what do you do with it? So are you taking advantage of the paper investments at this point? But that's going to change. That And it will all change so very quickly. You won't have time to sell your paper. You won't have time to liquidate, and you won't have time to buy gold because things will happen that quick. We do have time for Rob West, however, who is Senior Financial Strategist for RME Advisors. Um, Financial Preservation Network. Uh, And Rob will give us some more contact information in a couple of minutes. Hello, Rob. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Hello, Melody. Hi, Rob. We weren't supposed to bring you on until the uh, second break, but I'm glad to have you here. So I hope you were ready. (laughs) Well, I'll just be standing by, and uh, I got some supporting uh, information. Uh, I think you're right, Melody, about the sudden surgence of uh, gold and silver prices, and we all know what the physical supply is. So, um, you know, it's just a good idea to have any portfolio at least hedged with uh, a decent amount of gold and silver, but things can and will uh, change so rapidly. I think I was mentioning to you earlier, for 25 years as a stockbroker and going through the crash of 87 and all that, things change just so quickly. And um, this this could be one of them. It was a very quick uh, 
it changed and not only the price of gold and silver, but I think the last time we really had a situation like this, so many of the dealers see the supply and demand, and you'll pay a gouging price for it that that particular week or that particular day, won't you, Melody? Absolutely, and, and I mean, and they don't wait around. Number one, you see wholesalers, uh, the suppliers, you know, they increase their premiums because they know how quick it disappears. And then you also have like my competitors who will also then increase their premiums. And we 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 always try to keep our markups as close to what we've always charged, you know, um, you know, but uh, we, we can see that happen because when it comes down to it, uh, I, I can't even imagine what some of these premiums will do. You know, the, just to, we're about, oh, we still have another five minutes. Mint State 65, $20 Liberties in 87 and 89. I mean, they're, you know, they, they're selling at three, four, five thousand dollars in 87 to 89. They were $15,000 coins. And that happens. That's it's huge gains. And eighty-seven, eighty-nine. It's nothing compared to what we'll see today. Yeah. <clears throat> and you know, you only have so much inventory, and then you have to rely on uh, a large wholesaler. And uh, so the markups you have to pay to get the product is not a markup of yours to keep. Right. And it's not a markup that Melody will be able to control. She's going to have to take whatever markup is there from wholesalers, and they're going to, you can, they're not, I'll be surprised if we see many wholesalers who are determined to keep their markups the same as they've been in the past. This thing is, you know, when this thing catches fire, you're going to find prices are going to go up, and people will be trying to make as much profit as possible. It's human nature. It's the way the world is, right or wrong. Uh, and the point is, that won't be a good time to be trying to buy. It'll be, it'll certainly, it'll get you talking to yourself. It might be a great time, just because the price is going to go so high that you're going to have to get in. But you, uh, you're going to watch. You're going to be wondering, is this time to buy? Should I wait a little bit until it cools off a little? Uh, and I'm speaking in terms of when things break and price of gold begins to rise. It's going to be difficult, challenging to buy. You'll be able to do it. Prices will go up dramatically, and even if it's difficult to buy at that time, it may still be sensible and rational and important to do that, but it would be easier to do it now when prices are low. You know, it's something you talk about from time to time. It's Everybody gets it. The way you make money in the market is you buy low and you sell high. The problem is that when you buy really low, everybody is trying to get rid of something. And you have to go against the herd mentality. Herd says, that's worthless. Don't buy that. That's the time to buy. When it goes up to the other end uh, and everyone is saying, yes, yes, I want to buy more. I want to buy more. That's the time to sell. And it's, we are all subject to that. What's, what's the neighbor doing? What's everybody else doing? And we want to, we want to, we want to do what everyone else is doing. We want to behave, you know, a member of the herd, a certain amount of herd phenomena there. And it's completely contrary to making a profit. You have to be, you have, really have to be a contrarian in order to make a significant profit. Or that's the way it appears to me. After 25 years or whatever it was working in the stock market, what do you think about contrarians, Rob? Well... 
maybe after the break we'll have a little time to discuss just the markets in general, the difference between the stock market, the bond market, the commodities market, the gold and silver market, and how they operate. Because sometimes just having that knowledge uh, is, uh, no pun intended, but worth its weight in gold Mm -hmm. because of the current conditions and knowing how the pricing goes in and out of the marketplace, I, I think is really important. And, uh, but, you know, I've seen total 44 years in the financial marketplace and, um, I've just seen an awful lot of things, uh, go across my desk. And, uh, what we're looking at now, I think is so unusual that most people alive is, have not seen what I expect, uh, to be coming down, uh, the, the pipeline here very shortly. And, um, it could be a few weeks, it could be a few months, two or three things that could be a catalyst for having some major change occur. And, uh, but I think maybe you'll have a little discussion that people have more knowledge and information. And I encourage them, yeah, if they don't know a lot about the markets for gold and silver, just to chat with Melody about them in general. And if they're already owners of gold and silver, um, review the portfolio with Melody and, um, see if you're in the right place with what you really would like it to do given a certain event because there's been a number of folks I've counseled to in the state planning they've inherited nice positions of metals and uh, um, you know it does a great job but it's going to do specifically what they may want it to do because they're not their grandfather you know they just have a different set of circumstances so and they haven't lived through a depression yet, and then and, and perhaps watched their understanding increase uh, significantly. They're still working in a uh, in an environment where they may hope certain things that are maybe not reasonable, maybe not reasonable expectations. But we'll talk more about the difference between the markets when we return on financial survival in just a moment. I'm Alfred Addis here with Melody Cedarstrom, and our guest is Rob West. She, uh, uh, senior financial strategist for RME Advisors. Please, please stay tuned. We'll be right back. provided strength. Indeed, the chemical compounds of thyme contain antioxidants, an effective germicide that kills whooping cough bacteria and makes breathing easier. Just imagine what you can do with thyme herb when it comes to respiratory ailments like croup, pneumonia, asthma, and sinusitis. The extra benefit of thyme herb is that it soothes the nerves and stops spasmodic coughing, so you can get some rest. Who says you don't have time to take care of yourself? Call Apothecary Herbs toll-free for time, tincture, and tea to soothe your cough and get some rest. 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International 704-875-8010 or online at thepowerherbs.com. Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it, 
It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. I'm Alfred Addis here with Melody Cedarstrom on Financial Survival. Our guest is Rob West, Senior Financial Strategist for RME Advisors. And Rob, when we broke, just before we broke for the commercials, you said that you were going to give us some insight into the difference between the various markets. Um, a lot of people, including myself, would suppose that we're just dealing with supply and demand, and those forces should fundamentally be the same in each market, and what you're telling us is the markets move in mysterious ways, or at least you're implying that. They each have characteristics that aren't that simple and uh, more complex. The, the market comparisons are more complex than we might suppose. Is that true? Yeah, one of the important things, Al and Melody, is that the voices in the financial sales marketplace will always promote positives because that's just the nature of the business that you know unhappy and cautious investors will clam up and they're just uncomfortable to take the risk so most of the news and information you hear it's interesting to see why you hear it now about our company I encourage you to check listen to what I'm going to say carefully here because I'm not any longer in financial sales I don't sell commodities. Um, we promote financial education, and that's because I'm at a point in uh, in my career path uh, that I can afford to do it. And I'm working on a book, which is, I think, will be a money maker. But what I'm going to tell you is the some composite of 44 years of things that I've learned over the markets or over over the, over the long stretch of the marketplace. The stock market on the NASDAQ or the New York Stock Exchange or the American, it operates as an auction. And there's an instant market because 
the market makers are there to make a make a market, which means they're either going to buy or they're going to sell. And it's pretty much instantaneous. And over the last few years, a lot of it's become a lot more electronic, but still that, that market maker has to be present. Like during the crash of 87, a lot of stocks completely closed up. The market did for a period of time totally because the market maker has a personal risk to buy or sell. And when you get so many sellers and no buyers, he doesn't have a market and he has the right to close it because he has his personal money at stake. So the stocks are unlike the bond market and particularly in municipal bonds, there has to be a buyer before a transaction will occur because there's no market maker standing in between as a rule. So if I have a load of municipals or corporate bonds that I want to sell, I'll go through a transaction coordinator, but they need to find a buyer on the other end before. And sometimes it could be weeks before somebody wants to buy your bond. Well, the problem can set in is particularly in the corporate marketplace, um, most of the bonds owned are owned by mutual funds. And the rules there, the mutual fund, if I redeem my shares, the fund manager has seven days that he needs to make good my money. So he doesn't have two weeks, three weeks, four weeks to find a buyer at a good price. He needs to sell now. So a run on the market, a market crash in the bond market, can occur um, a little more dramatically because if the mutual funds are selling, they have to sell those bonds. But if you're a real sharp investor and you look at the individual issues, you can make significant money by a bond that should be selling at 80, which means 80% of its face value. If it gets pushed way down and starts selling at 30, but it's really worth 70 or so because the company issuing the bond is a good company. Well, if you pick it up at 30 and can wait out six months or a year or so, the bondholders have super rights against the assets of the company, unlike stockholders. So you have a lot more um, protection for your investment as a bondholder. But if you're able to pick it up super cheap at 30, and then in six months or a year, turn around and sell it at 70 or 80, you make a capital gain on that just like you would with a stock. And during the holding period, you earn the interest that the bond holder has to pay. So the difference between the markets of stocks and bonds are very significant. And particularly now, I was telling Melody earlier today, um, Emerging market corporate bond debt. There's potentially 18 trillion uh, in bad bonds there. There's over 2 trillion in U.S. corporate junk bonds. There's over 1 trillion in student loans, and Melody had a good observation about the student loans going into default. And auto loans, there's a lot of subprime auto loans. I was telling Melody, I just saw a commercial here in Denver for, I think it was a, a Dodge vehicle, up to 84 months financing at no interest. Well, 84 com- months? Yeah. And then I also read up to that period of time, some of the vehicles are up to 10 years old. 
Now, you just can't run an economy knowing these numbers and what they really mean. So to give you an idea, there's only like one trillion in debt in 2008. Now we're over 20. And so, you know, I'm not trying to pay. Seven years. Seven years we've increased the debt, what, 20 times? Yeah. Yeah. And just knowing these things about the markets, and historically, when the bond market tips because it's 100% larger than the stock market capitalization, always what's happened in the past, when the bond market starts to hit the tank, very soon afterwards, the NASDAQ market does the same. And that begins the fear, the selling, and all the things we've seen, you know, in, in prior uh, crash periods. So, and and during the initial phases of that, I wouldn't be surprised if we wouldn't see the soaring of the stock, uh, the uh, gold and silver markets, because people will look at that as a safe haven, and yep. but the supply there is pretty small, and that's what we were just talking about earlier with melodies and information and knowledge contacts with dealers. Um, everything will just get marked up. Big time. And the point, because the market is relatively small, we're going to see significant changes in prices. If the market were larger, the price change wouldn't be wouldn't be as great. There's more momentum in the market, essentially, and would prevent it. But with a relatively small market, we're going to see things jump, take off like skyrockets and so on, or at least we can we can suppose that's going to happen. Is that true? I I wouldn't be surprised. And, um, you know, I no longer give professional advice as an investment advisor or a CFP, but um, my portfolio, I would suggest, is significantly different than most of the listeners right now. And I, I can't detail it or anything, but, you know. Are you telling that. us that you are, that you have an unusual percentage of your portfolio is in, in precious metals? Relative to most people's thinking, that would be true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Except for Eric Sprott or somebody like that. <laughs> hey, Rob, I want to ask you in this bond market, like the $2 trillion corporate junk, I mean, how, how many more trillions can these markets hold? I mean, yeah. how big can this grow? I mean, I mean, they've been predicting a, the, the bubble breaking in the bond market. I mean, you had the, the two guys, uh, oh, I can't recall their names, that, were, that had the biggest uh, um, bond bill. I know you know who I mean. But he's been predicting the bond market would be crashing 45 years ago. And yet look oh, at these yeah. numbers. Yeah, you're talking about the manager of PIMCO who resigned? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. What, gross? Logical guys. Yeah. Ow, your memory. Mm-hmm. There it goes, yeah. Most people with a significant period of time of 20 years or more in the marketplace know that these uh, you just can't keep passing these bubbles around for a long period of time and no one expected this really to pull out of 2008 and that was only because of quantitative easing and where so much money was created and that went into the banking system to buy bad 
bad debt, bad bonds. Um, it's just been a surprise for a handful of uh, real old salts in the business to see why we're still up. And everybody's been saying it's going to go wrong. It never has. And pretty soon what will happen is, well, wolf, wolf, wolf. Everybody's crying wolf. No, there's no wolf. Oh, yeah, there's a whole pack of them out there. <laughs> and when they come in, you know, of the 2.2 trillion in corporate uh, junk, uh, 500 billion or more of it has uh, been loaned out to fracking companies. And so you've seen the price of oil and gasoline, right? Yeah, yeah. And these fracking guys need, what, 40 to $60 a barrel to be reasonable in business. And that these prices right now are not going to – it's not friendly to them at all. So you, you start laying and off. When you say, when you say these prices we have right now, the problem isn't simply whether or not they can make a, a profit off pumping oil at 40 bucks a barrel. The problem is not just about the production costs. The problem is about how much money has been borrowed and what do they owe on the right. debt. And the debt was based on price of crude, in many instances, on a price of crude oil that was in excess of $100 a barrel. Um, that's right. From my perspective, that's the big danger. Yeah, they can still pump crude oil, but they can't pay the debt. There's the problem. And exactly. that means there's yeah. going to be bonds are going to be vaporized. People who think they've got money because they hold they're holding a piece of paper are going to find out they have nothing. Um, the consequences. It's one of those. It's one of those events that could go viral. It could have you know like a chain reaction from nuclear chain reaction where we could see some very serious consequences flow out of this. Maybe we will. Maybe we won't. What are the probabilities that the the, sh the low prices in the oil business are going to have such a dramatic effect on the oil companies that are involved in fracking that will, they will adversely affect the entire American economy. There's going to be an adverse effect, but will it be confined to the fracking companies, oil companies? They're the ones that are going to have the problem, and it'll be con and the contagion will stop there. Or will this bleed over into the bigger economy and the other markets? We need a really big band-aid for this one because uh, just with the fracking companies and their huge amounts of borrowing, like you say, to pay their debt service is not even a. a, a I don't think that's even going to be a possibility. That'll yeah. lead to shut. Op, you know, shutdown of operations, loss of jobs. <clears throat> but it's a ripple effect as well. Um, I have a very good connection here in the, up in the Rockies. There's a very large mine that uh, mines molybdenum, and uh, molly is what they call it. Mm -hmm. And they were running seven days a week, 24 hours a day. And the price of molly now has dropped. It's used in so many things, including light bulbs and things you wouldn't even think of. Well, the demand's drying up, and I think it's around 5 to $7 a ton right now. And they can't operate, and they're talking about closing the mine in, the, in the January. Now, that's something you don't read in the news. Well, I know how many people work there. And I know the mortgage payments that they have. And so this 
the whole thing when you have this economic slowdown, um, if you can weave through the different industries that can have the effects on, well, the subprime car loans, because I'll tell you, all those guys out here, they love to drive the big trucks, you know, that are all jacked up and everything. Well, if they're giving them away for no interest and up to 84 months uh, to pay it, then they're living large. But when they don't have a job, well, wait till they find out that their pension funds have already invested in some of these things, and they may not have that either. Yeah. So it's just uh, it's a uh, uh, it's a complicated well, just, picture. Yeah, and and that's just complex, but very vulnerable, complex to the point of fragile. And you know, House of Cards are a bunch of analogies you can use, but they all point to their Better be very careful. This is like one of those cartoons with Bugs Bunny and Yosemite Sam, where they Yosemite Sam strikes a match and he's in a in a darkened room full of gunpowder, and uh, all of a sudden you better tiptoe because this thing just might go kaboom if you're not careful. And that's where we are right now. We're in a situation analogous to Yosemite Sam, and it isn't really funny. Yosemite Sam and Bugs Bunny, funny. Uh, what's going on right now, dangerous. Let's take a break for our next set of commercials, and Melody and I will be back on Financial Survival with our guest, Rob West. Please stay tuned. relationship problems have you feeling stressed out? When life is too much to handle, use Apothecary Herbs Emotional Stress Formula. Feel calm and more in control with herbs especially combined to provide the organic nutrition your system needs to help you cope. Complete instructions for maximum benefit and a money-back guarantee. You've waited long enough. Call Apothecary Herbs now. Toll free 866-229-3663. That's 866 866- Two two nine three six six three. International callers dial seven zero four eight seven five eight zero one zero. Or order online at the three w's dot thepowerherbs dot com. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, and Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971 when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. 
Hi, folks. I'm Alfred Adesk here with Melody Cedarstrom on financial survival with our guest, Rob West, Senior Financial Strategist for RME Advisors. Uh, Melody, you had a question you wanted to ask. Is that right? Yes, Rob. We know that these corporations borrow money because of low rates. They repurchase back their shares uh, to keep their prices from falling. Do we see the same thing in the bond market? Um, typically, no, but I understand um, when see, uh, a bond is a contract for a duration of price mm-hmm. for a given amount of interest, and sometimes they're convertible bonds into the you know, to be converted into the stock of the company. So there's a little bit different animal uh, than buying back your common stock that I think has been falsely keeping the market up over seventeen thousand with with that type of borrow money for nothing and and going back in and buying your own stock. <clears throat> so, um, but at the end of the day. Um, by and large, if if you have a company or a municipality with a large bond uh, portfolio, when possible, uh, some of the bonds have what they call call provisions. So they might guarantee you've got to have a you know a twenty-year bond with a five-year call provision. So if you buy it as a new option, within the first five years, they have to stick to letting you have the bond at that interest rate. But when the call option period comes up, they could refi at a lower rate and pay you off. And therefore, there's less interest expense to the company. So I think there could be, it's a good question, uh, and there could be combinations of uh, multiple call options. And if the companies are in decent shape, because like you mentioned, they they look like they're in great shape because their stock is up, but you know it's been because they've also been borrowing money to buy their own stock back. They may get uh, some bond uh, money in at a lower rate to pay off some higher interest cost bonds. Um, but sometimes it's like the tail wagging the dog here because um, uh, if if I would exercise a five-year call option on my company and refi. Well, I don't remember how what you were talking about how I think between 2012 and 2014 the amount of borrowing that went on was just out of this world. And uh so in the long run is it really smart to continue to increase debt for a short-term benefit of having a lower interest cost. Um and keep in mind in the financial marketplace the underwriters make money because they're redoing your bonds and they're making money because you're, they're doing a new stock offering. And, you know, the IPOs uh, have been falling off, which is the introduction of newer stocks into the marketplace. So uh, the more I got into it over the 25-year period I was doing it with the Wall Street guys, uh, so many things changed, including the character of the people that I formerly had trust in that worked at the high lo- uh, Wall Street positions. So I think we're dealing with a different mentality of people. Um, and they'll do anything to continue their <laughs> their profitability to quote-unquote earn their bonuses and uh, 
it's just pretty crazy stuff, particularly in in, in the banking side of things in the uh, uh, you know, the commercial banking. So right. uh, here's the question, though: Wayne. you're you're telling us that the quality of ethics on Wall Street, the 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 the, the magnitude of ethics, perhaps, I'm, but the quality of ethics has diminished significantly, and you can't trust people. Now, I, that implies that you can say, okay. We've got a deal at a certain price, and then you find out that the guy you said uh, that he agreed to the deal, he changes his mind, he backs out of the deal, and denies that there was a deal. Is that the sort of thing you're talking about with this change in ethics? No, not necessarily that, Al, but let's look at it this way. We haven't talked much about derivatives, which is a very interesting set of rules for money. but. When derivatives came out, it was selling insurance for various purposes. And uh, a group brief example, uh, Melody owns a company that wants to sell overseas, but she's worried about the currency exchange for the profitability back here at home. And so how you could sell her a derivative guarantee contract to absorb some risk should it go against her and then you became her private insurer. And you may not need, know much about what you're doing or care too much about, you only have $50 billion to back her up, but you'll back up her company and you'll back up my company and you'll back up the producer's company. And if you go way over your limit because you're basically an unregulated insurance company, you don't care because you know you're not going to be able to pay it anyway if everybody goes in default at the same time. But what you're interested in is bringing in their cash, the premium, for that derivative. And you got short-term thinking because you got Christmas coming up and a boat to pay for, you know? And there wasn't even derivatives back when I was, way back when I first started. So I think a lot more of that is very underlying. Um, and I know there's so much money that's being tossed through Wall Street that the SEC has disincentives to investigate things. The Commodities Futures Board, uh, they have disincentives, you know. And that's why I think Melody was saying a little earlier about the price of gold being so low and all that. That's part of the manipulation process. And uh, so at the end of the day, when when the foundation really shifts on this skyscraper, you can bet that those folks are pretty well entrenched with gold and silver because they know that's where the asset monetary exchange starts again after they've blown it up, and it starts with trust, and it's only started with gold and silver. When you say that we have had a lack of a, a – there's been a – at least imply that there's been a reduction in ethical behavior on Wall Street – do you think that reduction in ethical behavior and selling things like derivatives, even when you know they, they can't possibly work, that's one of the things you're implying, they're selling these derivatives like they're, they're selling 100 derivatives and they've only got enough money to back one, one derivative in the event of a failure, and I'm just pulling the numbers out of thin air, but that's unethical. Is this lack of ethics primarily a function of greed or 
Is it primarily a function of desperation, meaning that this system isn't going to hold together unless they can throw masses of money and unethical promises and whatever to hold this thing together and make it look good? Do you catch? Do you understand what I'm saying with that question? Not just greed, but primarily desperation. Do you? Does is that a reasonable question? And do you uh, do you agree with the implications? Well. <clears throat> It's been my experience with uh, the New York side of things in particular that uh, most of the middle management have such performance pressures put on them and their promotions and bonuses and things are based on that. I, I think that's one factor. Plus, we're now in 2015, and when I started back in the early 70s, we had a whole different set of mentality for a lot of business. And... <clears throat> Wall Street set up to manufacture securities with a good story to bring your money in because they're going to make money on both sides of the trade, whether they're buying or selling. And it got particularly ugly in the limited partnership business uh, back in the uh, early 90s. And I don't know what it's like now, but particularly the limited partnership, it's, it's totally at the discretion of who the general partners are and what they know. Uh, about what really what they're doing and then we had wholesalers come around to our offices and we had one or two lunches a day bought for the sales force because of the meetings that we would have based on their product and their product and I'll tell you something else <clears throat> no more than a few office managers one of the offices I worked in had over 40 brokers the managers computer on his desk monitors every broker's activity and he can see when they're building positions on different stocks particularly and when a wholesaler would come in to promote their product the manager knows how much is in the portfolio of everybody in the office and he would come up with ways that would be a great idea to take a profit in dp and l and go into this energy partnership limited partnership, but he knew how many positions in DP&L was in, uh, in his entire office. And the brokers had no idea that was happening, and I didn't either for a number of years, But because the manager's on an incentive too. So if he sees his boys mm -hmm. have all these things lined up, he'll create a new product, and here's why we should take profits on this and buy into this. And most of the brokers, you know, none of the brokers, nothing against the industry, but some of the better ones are used car salesmen. And they were fortunate to pass the Series 7 test to be a broker. Yep. <laughs> yep. I'm sure Melody sees this <laughs> in her business, too. Absolutely, know. particularly after 07. I mean, they've just swarmed to the gold market. Well... Then I'm still curious as to what you think was the cause. If you can, if you can, if you think, if you think you can even identify a cause, you're saying there's been a loss of ethics. It has something to do with increased competition. The competition is not merely between corporations and different brokerages. It's between the brokers within the brokerage house and even the manager of the corporate, the manager of the brokers. They are all working against each other and under an extraordinary stress. Do you think that stress 
is a function of the computers? Did they heighten the level of competition where it's become brutal and maybe even unsustainable? Well, it would be hard for me to determine that in a nutshell, but you know, back in the times when I was there, and I, I things have changed a little bit because of the internet and uh, just the different way that things are man- being managed. But in that scenario I just gave you, I've known that where that would happen time and again. Everybody comes out looking good because if if you're a broker and you go over twenty thousand a month in commissions, then particularly if you put it into this one new product that might be a limited partnership. They'd send a limo to take you out to a lot of places with any kind of escorts that you want, if you know what I mean. Yep. You know, and so you're living you're living large. And they would do that so much to encourage it and then uh you know, what they call it when they embellish somebody, uh there's a word for building them up. Um then you might start thinking that and then they'll expect it the next month and the next month and then say, you know what? You really need that half million dollar house over there. My realtor friend's got a deal on it, and they want you to be in debt because you have to produce. Yeah. And these are things that the average listener just wouldn't have an idea about, you know? It sounds like the brokers are caught in a situation where at least some of them are bamboozled by their own hype. The same story that they're using to perhaps deceive their customers, maybe with a few embellishments, but it's the same story, is being used to deceive them into into investing whatever profits they made from their bonuses. They're, They're being drawn into doing something that may be contrary to their interests. <laughs> and it's kind of a cannibalistic system is what it sounds like. Well, you know, it's just all based on gross you know, gross production. One of the firms, if you were the top for in the, in the whole office for like three months in a row, you got the corner office with the windows, the leather chair, and the lamp. And if the you don't lamp. maintain that, yeah. And did if you, you don't get, maintain, did I have they, one of those offices? Oh, yeah, I did. <laughs> but, but if you don't maintain that and someone overtakes you, then you have to move to another office and the other guy gets your place. You see what I mean? Yeah, and, uh, it's kind of like living in a mobile home community. Sounds like people <laughs> get moved around on a regular basis here. It was an airstream for sure. But um, <laughs> well, we we didn't get a chance to talk about the IMF. Time goes by so quick. There was uh, some other topics that we had wanted to get to, and time just goes by so quick. Uh, Rob, we have what Al left about a minute. Yep, we have about a minute and ten seconds left, and that's enough time to say hello, goodbye, and give them some contact information. Rob, why don't you tell folks where they can reach you if they'd like to, and if you'd like to be reached, or uh, whatever you got. 60 seconds, 55. Uh, com is our website. And my uh, mobile number is 303-472-0531, which is uh, available most of the time for either fax or conversation. But I, I prefer to get a little written information first. And I'd be happy to share some of the things I'm working on. And I just want to encourage people, don't wait until 
you read about it in the paper that it started, call yeah. Melanie now and get some ideas, even if you're considering and you're not going to buy right yet. I just think it's she's a great contact. Uh, I got to know her through Bob Chapman and uh, a lot of folks that are listeners. Um, really knew a lot about Bob and, and his wisdom and so forth. But uh, I appreciate uh, chatting with both of you. All right, Thank Rob. You, Rob. Thank you. Look forward to talking to you again. This is Rob West. from He's Senior Financial Strategist from RME Advisors. Um, I'm Alfred Adisk here with Melody Cedarstrom on Financial Survival. We'll be back on Monday. Have a good weekend, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for listening. In the meantime, the good Lord bless you, me, Melody, Frank the producer, and Rob West. Bye-bye. Bye. All night I work all day to pay the bills I have to pay. Ain't it sad? Still there never seems to be a single penny left for me. That's too bad. In my dreams, I have a plan. If I got me a wealthy man, I wouldn't have to work at all. I'd fool around and have a for business or staying in touch with family, your cell phone use is increasing. Use the Wave Shield developed for ultimate cellular protection. The Wave Shield blocks, reduces, and deflects up to 97% of the radiation from entering the soft tissue of your ear. The Wave Shield, made of a patented mesh material, is proven and tested to block radiation without affecting reception. Order your Wave Shield today for only $19.95. Did he just say $19.95? Hey, times are tough, so American Voice Radio Network is cutting the price to $17.95. That's right, $17.95 plus mailing. You can protect yourself, family, and friends from cell phone danger to your inner ear. $17.95 at TheAmericanVoice.com. That's the superstore at TheAmericanVoice.com. $17.95 plus mailing. Order now. What makes deep sea salt from France so different? Up from the ocean depths in the south of France flow undersea rivers of pristine sea water. At high tide, the prepared salt ponds are filled with this water. Over spring and summer, processed only by ocean breezes and sunshine, the brine thickens and salt crystals float to the top. These are harvested with nets and deposited on wooden drainage flats to dry. The salt is then gathered up, packaged, and shipped around the world. This salt is much more than a box of lifeless sodium chloride. Soldiers worth their salt were once paid with this valuable commodity. It contains 78 to 84 balancing elements. This is living salt, and once you have tasted it, you will never go back to anything else. I've seen this salt in gourmet shops for $30 a pound. Get it now at 4spectrum.us for under $8 a pound. Order 10 pounds and enter the coupon code AVRSALT at checkout and save $20. Ships free to your door or call 800-581-8906. Order today. The U.S. dollar is fluctuating. Gasoline reserves are low and the prices rise. World events are at best uncertain. How would
would you fare a stock market crash, hyperinflation, or an overall economic collapse? What would you do if you woke up and the U.S. dollar had the buying power of a penny? Call Swiss America at 1-800-BUY-COIN for a free 21-page report explaining the current economic dangers and how you can take steps to protect yourself and family. Call Swiss America at 1-800-BUY-COIN. That's 1-800-289-2646. 1-800-289-2646. To learn how you can become prepared, call 1-800-289-2646 and mention you heard it on the American Voice Radio Network. Fighting soldiers from the sky Fearless men who jump and die Men who mean just what they say The brave men of the Green Beret Silver wings upon their chest These are men America's best 100 men will test today but only three when the Green Beret trained to live off nature's land trained in combat hand to hand men who fight all right Welcome, day before Thanksgiving, and uh, you're listening to the American Voice Radio. This is Freedom Call. I'm your host. My name is Bo Greitz. Good way, best way to communicate with me, since I uh, have to clear my email about three times a day, or it uh, gets filled up. Boy, I'd kind of like, I think what Al Gore did uh, in inventing the Internet was probably good. And where before I had thought that this uh, Facebook was just for pedophiles and things like that, I've completely changed my mind. I have a great uh, Facebook page. Uh, I People come in there that I haven't seen in 25 years and more. It actually is uh, really cool. All the kids that were just toddlers running around now, I don't recognize them uh, by their photos because they they grew up and got ugly. But uh, I recognize their families, and it thrills me to see that you know people are are making it. It's hard times. And a lot of people are having a pretty tough time of it, but young and old, uh, military, civilian, uh, retired, uh, just getting their first jobs out of school, uh, we're making it. This is America, the United States thereof. There isn't any place any more wonderful anywhere on this globe. I've been to most of the areas in the in the seven seas, and I'll tell you, you don't find boatloads of Americans headed to the Soviet Union. 
or the old Soviet Union, Russia. Uh, you don't now. You used to find Americans headed to the Philippines a little bit, but now there's so much uh, terrorism and uh, people fighting back and forth and anarchists and communists and uh, you know American haters over in the Philippines that you might be wise just to look for a Filipino baby uh, right here at home and don't go to Haiti. I've been reporting uh, every day on uh, how terrible conditions uh, are getting in Haiti with this epidemic of cholera. See, 10 months ago, uh, they had a real bugger of an earthquake. And uh, the United States, other countries have sent uh, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars. The problem is that despite uh, the military pulling in there, uh, all kinds of food, clothing, volunteer doctors and uh, health specialists, uh, we still find that Haiti, rather than rebuilding uh, the country, this has been, uh, well, in January, it'll be a year, uh, they are still living in uh, tent cities, and uh, the crime rate is increasing steadily. The numbers of violent crimes, rape, uh, beatings, murders, uh, continue to uh, exceed themselves. And now this devilish uh, cholera, I mean, just from this week, it has doubled, redoubled, now redoubled again. There are now 1,400 dead from cholera, 60,000 people in Haiti have the disease and are likely to die. And so uh, it's pretty amazing. There are all kind of websites. If you want to uh, give to uh, Haiti, then uh, you certainly can do so. I think if I were you, I would try to find uh, an organization that I felt, and you notice I use a singular, <laughs> an organization, uh, because there are so many frauds right now that are out there and scams, and many of them uh, in the name of saving Haiti. It's amazing how few people seem to have a conscience and a heart. And when you look at the just the cornucopia, uh, well, good things are supposed to come out of a cornucopia, you think. Just the, the human uh, sea, the tsunami of uh, scamsters and people who will steal right out of the mouths of those who are starving and those who are living under uh, difficult conditions right now. My advice, stay out of Haiti. Haiti didn't want any kind of uh, interference by the Western world as it developed. Uh, they purged uh, the country of white people, and they found that without uh, European stock help, uh, they didn't do well uh, in their own economy. Haiti is uh, 
part of a of the island, only uh, part of it, and uh, you need to be careful. It is, I believe, a dangerous place. Now, I have uh, very close friends who uh, whose heart and minds uh, are in Haiti right now. But being very frank, if you go to Haiti, uh, you become a target if you are perceived as someone who is there uh, to help Haiti with money or with connections in the United States, this kind of thing. So uh, no other country other than America actually has a Thanksgiving. This is sort of an American tradition. So uh, to uh, try to wish uh, a happy Thanksgiving or send these kinds of greetings uh, to Haiti, etc., falls on confused ears. It'd be like Afghanistan. They have no idea what you'd be talking about. Let me go through some figures. I haven't done this. I used to do it almost every day. But I want to get into an area before you have a, a good holiday. And I pray that your family will be able to assemble, come together, be with each other, enjoy each other. You know, you don't realize or appreciate truly uh, the loved ones, the even I say loved ones, I'm talking about two-legged and, uh, and four-legged uh, critters, family people, brothers, sisters, children, grandchildren, until the end. All of a sudden, when there is a tragic situ- uh, separation, then there's never enough time. And all of a sudden, uh, when you've lost uh, something, you can look back and say, geez, so make sure that you do everything that you would do if you knew that this uh, was maybe the last time that you would be with your family, share time with them, have a good uh, Thanksgiving meal, uh, even if you're going to go down to one of the fast food restaurants. Enjoy your family, your fellowship. Uh, get close to them. Tell them you love them. Touch them. Hug them. Kiss them. Uh, make everybody realize how important uh, they are. And if you can uh, communicate with a soldier, you know, even if you see a uniformed person, uh, just uh, wherever you are, on the street, in the driving uh, or walking or shopping near a bus depot or uh, the airport, just it doesn't take but a second. Just stop and look them right in the eye and say, thank you. Welcome home. We appreciate what you're doing. Thank you for your service. And if they'll let you, give them a hug. All right, I'm going to give you some figures, and then I'll follow up on exactly why this is very important. 
The uh, federal debt, the way it stands, uh, just minutes before we started the program, uh, which is about 15 minutes ago, is and was because it, it goes up $4 billion every day. So you can figure uh, when you got 60 minutes uh, you know, in the hour, 60 seconds uh, in the minute, you can see at $4 billion, you divide that in, uh, how quickly the it goes up faster than you could ever think about counting. So the debt, you just have to take a photograph of it. Now, this is the way it was. It's uh, much more than that as we speak now. But it it is... Thirteen trillion seven hundred and sixty-seven billion dollars. So it's very close uh, to fourteen trillion dollars. Now, the American population. This is legal residents, legal uh, Americans, or visitors that are here uh, legally. Three hundred and ten million seven hundred and seventy-seven thousand five hundred ninety-three, and it's going up also. So probably it's uh, three hundred and ten million seven hundred and seventy-seven thousand six hundred right now. But that gives you an idea of the population. Now, taxpayers is one hundred and ten million. 334,058. Those are the people that are going to have to try and keep alive. And the deficit, frozen, just a photograph of it, uh, less than a half hour ago, is $1,350,000,000,000. Now, this means that uh, we are writing checks on an account that not only is overdrawn, but it's overdrawn by almost a trillion and a half dollars. All right, we've got 110 million taxpayers out there. Now, uh, it's being reported today that, wow, uh, first-time jobless applications actually dropped. Well, friends, you reach a point where there won't be any first-time jobless applications. You understand that? Every week has been going up. And America's unemployment is about 10%. And in Nevada, it's more like 16%. So the unemployment is awful. The actual number of Americans without a job is 26,824,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,
81 million, almost 81 and a half million families. Now, what's interesting is 42 million, 356,696 are on food stamps. Now, to me, this, this looks a little bit like, even though I'm exaggerating now, like North Korea or Chad. I mean, you know, we shouldn't have uh, half our families on food stamps. I mean, it doesn't seem like the USA when you have 42 million 356,696 on food stamps. Anyway, there have been uh, over a million and a half so far. It's not over yet. Uh, we're not into December, but so far with a with about uh, 11 twelfths uh, of the year gone, there's a million and a half people that have gone bankrupt. And there's over a million, there's a million forty four thousand five hundred and eighty eight that have lost their home this year. And uh, now with these demographics giving you the populations, now let's try and uh, and some of the numbers. Uh, let's uh, take a look and see what are the greatest expenditures. I mean, if we have $1.4 trillion deficit, this is spending money that we don't have in excess. It's like writing a check. And instead of you writing a, bouncing a check for $100, Obama is bouncing a check for a trillion point four. Four hundred billion, one trillion, four hundred billion. That's quite a figure, if you ask me. Anyway, uh, the largest expenditure right now is uh, this Medicare. Seven hundred and eighty-eight billion dollars. I mean, this—it uh, seems just uh, awesome. Social Security. Is almost seven hundred. It's six hundred ninety-nine billion. The Defense Department is six hundred eighty-nine billion dollars. And federal retirement is two hundred billion. Now I'm wondering because uh, you see Obama is talking about uh, in his ways to save money about uh, not giving uh, soldiers any kind of a raise in this next year. I wonder, though, if Obama uh, would agree. We certainly, and I've got a suggestion for Sarah Palin. You know, Sarah Palin's uh, new book uh, has just uh, come out and is available today. Now, she had a book, Going Rogue, but I'm not talking about that one. Sarah Palin has a brand new book that is just out. You can, you know, if you want to uh, go by uh, one of the bookstores uh, when you're out uh, doing Black Friday, then uh, it's called America by Heart. And it's uh, a book that she has written about uh, faith, family, 
and the American flag. Wow, a couple of those uh, Obama would have would probably leave out of his book. At any rate, uh, Sarah Palin says that her whole purpose is to keep, to defeat, to stop Obama, Reid, and Pelosi's transformation of America. And she's going, she wants to stop what they, uh, those three mega uh, leftists, are doing. Reed, Pelosi, Obama. And she'll do it in office, if that's what it takes, or out of office. Well, anybody that doesn't know Sarah Palin now obviously doesn't have a television or radio, <laughs> doesn't listen to anybody. You are a hermit, a recluse. And a lot of people have said, well, uh, Sarah Palin's popularity, the more people learn about her, the less they like her. She's not qualified. Uh, let me ask you, do you think Obama is qualified? Do you think Reed is qualified? Do you think McCain is qualified? These people have never run a town, let alone a state. When you look at Sarah Palin and say, is she qualified? You need leadership. You need someone who is responsible. And are you responsible when you're a member of the House of Representatives? Was Obama responsible as a United States senator? No. But now is a governor responsible? Even a governor of Rhode Island, for example, uh, versus uh, the governor of Alaska, the largest state? Even though, or governor of New York, governor of California with the most population, they are responsible. It's a heck of a lot different and much more qualifying than any of these people that are uh, judges or legislators. And Sarah Palin's been both a mayor and a governor. So I think that she is as qualified as anybody that we've seen. And I agree with her. We need to stop Obama, Harry Reid, and Nancy Pelosi's transformation of America. So if you want to know more about it, uh, again, you might stop by and pick up uh, this new book and thumb through it. It's uh, Sarah Palin's out today, uh, and the title is "America by Heart: Story of Faith, Family, and Flag." All right. So uh, Obama is wanting uh, to save money uh, by not giving soldiers uh, any kind of cost of living allowance uh, this next year. Well, uh, veterans, old people, Social Security, we haven't had any cost of living for two years. You know, these guys are rich that are uh, serving in these uh, offices of high trust and responsibility. Wouldn't it be interesting if they were to say, 
uh, I tell you what, I'm going to throw my pay back into uh, the pot, the abyss, in Obama's case with $1.4 trillion deficit. I'm going to throw my, I'll just going to take a dollar. I'll spend my own money, and that way you can rest assured I'm going to be spending it frugally. And do you, can you imagine that, let's say, uh, that Sarah Palin uh, runs for the presidency in, or as a vice president uh, in the year 2012 and says, I have made enough money off of uh, American television and the series I've done on Alaska and my book, America by Heart, I will serve for a dollar a year. Don't pay me, but one dollar. And the rest up, so you'll know that I'm serving America. You know, I think we could believe in someone like that. And I'm just kind of interested. I wouldn't be a bit surprised if somebody like Ron Paul wouldn't come along and say, you know, I can, I'll go for that. Sarah Palin and I will serve for a dollar. And we will restore and lift up the Constitution in America to the glory of God, the flag, faith, our country, our family. Yeah, I like the whole idea. Now, I'm wondering, because half of the Democrats that were surveyed, and this is a figure that came out today, half of the Democrats say they want to see one of their own party run against Obama in the 2012 election. Now, who does that mean? (laughs) It certainly isn't the vice president. And it isn't number three, Harry Reid, I can guarantee you. And I don't think that... uh, Can you figure out who it might be? Well, Hillary Clinton. Now, I'm wondering if Hillary would be willing to serve for a buck a year. And uh, whomever might be uh, her running mate. But I'm just thinking this might be an idea to both parties. Show us, like we're from Missouri, show us that you are truly interested in serving America and serve for a buck a year. Anyway... I think that that's something that we ought to offer up. And uh, I want you to keep in mind that there are 5,831. See, it's more than it was yesterday. Uniformed Americans that have given their all, doing what the government thought is right in Iraq, and Afghanistan. It's time to bring them home. All right. I will be right back. You guys just sit back, take a nice deep breath, and we'll take a little bit of a pause. American Voice Radio, it's Freedom Call.
Can your family survive a food shortage lasting two weeks, six months, or maybe longer? Sound far-fetched? We live in precarious times. There is an ever-increasing possibility of food shortages caused by terrorist attacks, natural disasters, truck strikes, or monetary collapse. You owe it to yourself and family to prepare, and you can by getting a supply of our long-storing, freeze-dried, and dehydrated foods. Our foods are time-tested to store for decades, require a minimum of time and energy to prepare while maintaining superior nutritional value, freshness, and taste. Our foods were designed for the space program and are in constant use today by our own nuclear submarine service. Contact the Freeze Dry Guy today at freezedryguy at lancet.com. That's freezedryguy at l-a-n-s-e-t.com or call 530-265-8333. 530-265-8333. And let them know you heard it on American Voice Radio. Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Let TalkStream Live transform the way you listen to radio. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. Here's what an expert says about distilled water. If you decide on bottled water, make sure it's distilled. However, in the long run, you'll save money if you clean your water at home. It's more convenient than hauling gallon jugs from the store. The gold standard for purifying your water is a system that distills your water and filters it. You have the comfort of knowing there is no chlorine, fluoride, bacteria, viruses, pesticides, or lead. You get nothing but H2O, maximum health. Dr. Robert D. Willis, Jr., M.D. Order your tabletop water distiller for $139.99 postpaid. It comes with everything you need to get pure distilled water. Go to superstore.theamericanvoice.com. That's superstore.theamericanvoice.com. Order now. The U.S. dollar is fluctuating. Gasoline reserves are low and the price is rising. World events are at best uncertain. How would you fare a stock market crash, hyperinflation, or an overall economic collapse? What would you do if you woke up and the U.S. dollar had the buying power of a penny? Call Swiss America at 1-800-BUY-COIN for a free 21-page report explaining the current economic dangers and how you can take steps to protect yourself and family. Call Swiss America at 1-800-BUY-COIN. That's 1-800-289-2646. 1-800-289-2646. To learn how you can become prepared, call 1-800-289-2646 and mention you heard it on the American Voice Radio Network.
American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Radio Freedom Call. Now, I mentioned a good way to communicate with me. Then I talked a little bit about Al Gore, and uh, I never did tell you uh, my email site, even though I did cite uh, the fact that email is the way to go. It's better than telephone call. Uh, it's uh, better than a letter, certainly. It goes through uh, instantly. And uh, you can... Uh, send things and stuff like that where Facebook has some limitation on uh, communication if you want to, you know, if it's private things, if you want to make statements or whatever and you don't want to make them uh, to a larger audience. So the email address uh, is Bo Greitz. That's pretty simple now. I'll go ahead and spell it for you. B-O-G-R- I-T-Z, B-O, Bo, G-R-I-T-Z, Bogreitz, at M-S-N, stands for Microsoftnetwork.com. And uh, I enjoy getting your uh, emails, and I uh, oftentimes will use the information uh, here on Freedom Call because it uh, either causes me to do additional research or oftentimes your research has completed something that I've been wondering about uh, myself. So I want to thank you. Now, I thought I would uh, tell you uh, what Ron Paul knows and what Ron Paul uh, could do. Now, you say, well, Bo... Gosh, we got two years until the general election. Yes, but you get started now. You know, it's kind of like uh, uh, after Thanksgiving, what happened? It's flooded uh, with Christmas stuff, aren't we? And then as soon as Christmas is over, we start getting flooded uh, because of commercialism uh, with the Valentine things. And right after that, Easter things. So, uh I am not too early to tell you 
because now we have a new Congress. And uh, the next uh, two years will be the major general election. And we really need, in all honesty, uh, we need to... We got a new Congress now in the House of Representatives. We still, uh, they're still duking it out. Uh, it's between two Republicans, uh, Murkowski and Joe up there in uh, Alaska. And what has uh, happened, it seems strange. Now let me just uh, pause for a moment to explain what's going on. We know the election uh, was the first of this month. Now, uh, we know that almost everybody knows the outcome uh, of uh, there's still like three congressional slots that aren't uh, determined. Well, a U.S. Senate seat that isn't determined uh, was apparently won by Lisa Murkowski. Now, she lost the primary. So, uh, she wasn't going to be a part of the general election. And uh, this guy, Joe Miller, won the primary as a Republican. And Lisa Murkowski's a Republican. And she lost. So that basically is it. Well, no, not for Lisa Murkowski. She refused uh, to acknowledge uh, her uh, protege, uh, she ran then as a write-in. Now, what are the chances, knowing how voters are and uh, the nature of people, what are the chances of people writing in Lisa Murkowski and beating the Republican who had won the primary and who beat the Democrat in the general election. Well, according to the uh, absentee ballots, and what uh, Joe Miller's point is, is that uh, the people who work for the election uh, committees there in Alaska accepted illegally uh, so-called write-in ballots uh, that uh, had Lisa Murkowski's name somehow written out on it. I can't imagine a, uh, a write-in uh, winning in a, a general election. Uh, and so uh, in Murkowski's case, it's not as if she's just uh, a political candidate for the U.S. Senate. She has been the U.S. Senator because her dad was the U.S. Senator. He then took over as uh, governor of Alaska. He appointed his own daughter to fit as governor to fill uh, his old spot in the U.S. Senate. And then Sarah Palin beat Daddy Mikowski uh, for governor of Alaska, and then this guy uh, uh, comes up in the Republican, wins the Republican primary, kicks uh, Murkowski, Lisa Murkowski out. Well, uh, now she says, and it looks like the figures are saying, on at least 
what they're turning in in Alaska is that Lisa Murkowski has won a write-in. Well, Joe Miller uh, acknowledges that he may have been born at night, but it wasn't last night. And so he has gone uh, to the state uh, court in Fairbanks, Alaska. Uh, this is not a federal issue. You know, this is a state issue. So right now, uh, and uh, Lisa Murkowski has filed uh, trying to intervene, saying if she isn't sworn in uh, by the 1st of January, Alaska uh, will be underrepresented uh, in uh, the U.S. Congress, meaning that every state's got two senators, and one of them, she would not be there until they got this thing sorted out. So regardless of who wins, it means that there's a Republican there. <laughs> but the bottom line is there's not enough Republicans uh, to control the U.S. Senate, even though there are far more than enough Democrats uh, to, I mean, Republicans to control the Congress, the House of Representatives side. All right, I wanted to mention to you the things that uh, Ron Paul has mentioned when he won all of the primary Republican debates. He won every one of them where they had uh, figures uh, that were maintained that various uh, states, uh, various networks, uh, various corporations sponsored uh, debates featuring as many as a dozen uh, Republicrats running for president. And then as people called in or as people uh, wrote in, voted, uh, they kept a tally. And Ron Paul uh, outdid all of them. Now, what they're saying now is that uh, Romney is the best candidate for president from the Republican Party. Friends, we got to be careful because we don't want, see, McCain was probably the only Republican that Obama could beat. And uh, he did. Because people, I couldn't vote for McCain, even though I cast a Republican ballot. It was for Sarah Palin, hoping that, uh, McCain uh, might pull a Gerald Ford and fall down a lot on the way uh, to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. I know too much about McCain. He is He's dangerous as far as I'm concerned. There's a thing about being incompetent. Uh, again, it's like being slick, uh, being uh, a wise guy versus being a buffoon. Would you rather have a buffoon? I think I would. Uh, you know, running uh, government rather than some uh, uh, person who disregards the Constitution has got this grandiose best of the brightest uh, to bring them in uh, to have a shadow government, like Ali North said was the case uh, with the administration that he was part of. Anyway, Ron Paul says that what he would do is bring home America's military. 
Ron Paul used to be uh, an, an Air Force uh, surgeon. He's been a doctor. He del he's a pediatrician. He delivers uh, thousands of babies. He's been over 20 years in Congress. And so it's Ron Paul has this corporate uh, experience. Now, you may say, well, now, uh, Bo, should we be bringing home our troops, like from Germany uh, or Japan? I mean, you know, they were uh, enemies. We've been watching them since World War Two, uh, And, uh, geez, we got 28,000 of them in uh, Korea. Uh, you know, we... Uh, you mean we can leave Afghanistan, uh, where we're spending uh, $2 billion a week, every week? And what are we doing there? And the death toll, the cost keeps going higher. It's now 5831 less than yesterday. I mean, more than yesterday. It, it's like the federal debt. So uh, there would be, now it doesn't mean that Ron Paul would do like Obama and make the military less. It means that he would stop the, the billions and billions and billions of dollars that is going right through, right down the drain uh, supporting overseas operations. Are we an empire? If we're not, let's guard our own borders. My gosh, any time that you get Phoenix, Arizona, being more dangerous than Baghdad or Beirut, something's wrong. We need, obviously, to guard our own borders. Our military has a job. Ron Paul says that uh, he uh, could and would get rid of the IRS and put America back the way that our founders saw it, where we had free enterprise. You know, that was the great experiment. We were the only country in the history of the world at that point in time where a man could own land in perpetuity, meaning with no taxes, it was his property. It's called an allodial title. It was completely different than any other time where sovereigns uh, leased out the land or allowed people to, to uh, squat on the land at their pleasure. But any time uh, the, the sovereign wanted, they could kick the barons, the earls, uh, you know, they could kick them off. And so Ron Paul understands the principle of free enterprise. And if you don't have the enormous bureaucracy and you're not bailing out, uh, you know, with trillions of dollars, then uh, it isn't necessary. Now, you may say, and the most traumatic thing that Ron Paul could do to instantly put a tourniquet on the bleeding American dollar, I mean dollars and the value of the American dollar and our economy is 
our life's blood. And we are hemorrhaging. And so, uh, look what we did. We said, well, this is very exceptional. We've got to do this or America will go under. Uh, We've got to uh, spend a trillion dollars, now another trillion, to bail out these companies that wouldn't even tell us what they were going to use the money for. Well, and we look at the Federal Reserve, and we see that every dollar printed is loaned into existence. And who is it loaned to? It's loaned to we the people. This 110 million taxpayers that we've got. That's why we're going to go right on through 14 trillion. And people scratch uh, pieces of their anatomy thinking, well, how come we can't slow down uh, the the debt? Uh, why uh, was it under Ronald Reagan $1 trillion? And then uh, it took all the way because in, in, in Andrew Jackson's time, it was zero. America didn't owe anybody anything. Zero. So it took all that time from the time we had a government with George Washington all the way to Ronald Reagan till we hit one trillion. Then with Minnie Me, it, uh, or rather with, with Daddy Bush, it jumped up to three trillion. And then, you know, it started skyrocketing. Now today, with just this short period of time, we have seen where Obama has spent more than all the presidents put together in the history of the United States in just this short period of time. And now our debt uh, will not stop at $14 trillion. It'll just keep going. So do we need to take drastic measures? Do you know that there is a provision in the Federal Reserve Act? Now, see... Uh, We didn't have income tax. We didn't have the Federal Reserve. And the Federal Reserve was uh, put together uh, by the rich families. It was called, I got a book called Our Crowd, the story of the bankers in New York and New Jersey. Very interesting how uh, they bought up all the newspapers because, see, they didn't have radio and television those days. It was newspapers if you wanted to control uh, the propaganda. So they bought up all the 50 most influential newspapers, and they lobbied for a Federal Reserve. Well, once they got the Federal, they said that we needed the Federal Reserve because civilian banks uh, would do a lot better than Congress that's supposed to uh, control our money by the Constitution. And so uh, they ended up getting the Federal Reserve. Well, then the Federal Reserve, after that, uh, we got income taxes and we got war because we needed this engine to fill up the coffers uh, of the private banks using our mints to run off uh, uh, just uh, irresponsible 
enormous amounts of money that is loaned every dollar, loaned into existence. Even the interest is printed and, and, and made part of the debt, and we owe interest on the interest. And so is it possible to get rid of And what happened? Right after we got the Federal Reserve, the next big thing that happened was the Great Depression. And now they admit Bernanke and Greenspan, the chairmen of the Federal Reserve, admit that it was that the, the Great Depression was caused by the Federal Reserve. So how do we get rid of the Federal Reserve? Well, the, the banking act says that uh, the United States government gets uh, the face value on all coins, and we can apply that uh, against the debt. Well, we don't have that many coins as opposed to paper money, but that the private banks, they're not federal. Of the so-called, like Fred Smith's Federal Express, these private banks, they uh, print the face value is loaned to us. Now then, in truth, this was posed before the banking committee uh, in Congress, and uh, the chairman came back and said, "Well, uh, it would be a drastic step, but." It is lawful. America, a guy like Ron Paul, who appoints a, uh, a decent, a patriotic Secretary of the Treasury, they could strike a single coin. And let's make it $15 trillion. And... The Federal Reserve, the civilian banks, would have to give us, the United States, credit for the face value of that piece of pot metal that said, in God we trust, $15 trillion, the United States of America, debt paid in full. And you may say, well, Bo, what would that do? I mean, China uh, owns a third of our debt, uh, Japan and Germany. <laughs> Isn't it interesting? All of our enemies own our debt. <laughs> they have bought us up. They couldn't beat us. The Japanese bought Hawaii. So this is exceptional. But... What would be required to save the life of our country and the future of our generations where we could restart and resurrect the spirit of America? We could be born again under the Constitution and we could live under the law of free enterprise and become the greatest nation again in the whole world and set the example 
for all mankind. Now, you're going to have bankers screaming and hollering and jumping out of windows and throwing themselves in the ocean and trying to flush themselves down the stools. You know, that's collateral damage, as Schwarzkopf used to say. That's just part of warfare. And in saving our nation and our children's future, I think it's worth it. So we need to actually be asking, is this possible? And who has the courage, the moral courage? Well, again, read Sarah Palin's book, See If It's Worth a Hoot. It's called uh, America by Heart, the story of faith, family, and flag, as written by Sarah Palin's out today. And think about Ron Paul. Encourage him. Let's run for president. And even the Democrats say, we need somebody to run against Obama. And let's take one more hill. Now, we got a piece of it. We got the House of Representatives. One more hill. We can do it. All right, I want you to enjoy yourselves. Thanksgiving. God willing, uh, I'll be back with you. Uh, on Friday. So take care. Stay with American Voice Radio. Silver wings upon their chest. These are men, America's best. One hundred men will test today, but only three when the green berets. Train to live off nature's land. Trained in combat. Talk this, Ash. How y'all doing? Okay, I got a lot of stuff to cover today. I don't know how I'm gonna, how much I'm gonna get, how much I'm not gonna get. But in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But very quickly, God was faced with a class action suit for failure to file an environmental impact statement. And he was granted a temporary permit for the project, but was stymied with the cease and desist order for the earthly part. So appearing at the hearing, God was asked why he began his earthly project in the first place, and he replied that he just liked to be creative. And then God said, let there be light. And immediately the officials demanded to know how the light would be made, would it be strip mining, what about thermal pollution, and God explained that the light would come from a large ball of fire. So God was granted provisional permission to make light, 
assuming that no smoke would result from the ball of fire and that he would obtain a building permit and to conserve energy. He would have the light out half of the time. God agreed and he offered to call the light day and the darkness night. So the officials replied that they were not interested in semantics. So God said, let the earth put forth vegetation, plant yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit. And the EPA agreed so long as only native seed was used. Then God said, let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth. And the officials pointed out that this would require approval from the Department of Game coordinated with the Wildlife Federation and the Audubon Society. Everything was okay until God said the project would be completed in six days. Then the officials said it would take at least 200 days to review the applications and the impact statement, and then there would be a public hearing, and then there would be 10 to 12 months before a decision. And at that point, God labeled them the Honolulu County Council. So I just got this info about our illustrious mayor and governor going on Asian tours nearly at the same time. And there's going to be more coming out as far as that relationship with rail and what it's, the conjecture is West Oahu is destined to be a major Hong Kong Tokyo colony connected by Hitachi built express trains from Honolulu to the Asian hotels and condos and fake Indian tribe casinos. Um, what's happened is that the, the Honolulu Railway is about connecting the dots for the big real estate investor groups. They don't care about the H1 becoming a parking lot because they're not going to use it. So there are big plans of Disney and Malls of America and major Surf World Park, etc., that these can only be supported by major big bucks, condos, hotels, casinos, casinos and Asian money. So the media will be told this will be the new rail plan B. But in fact, this was Dan Inouye's rail plan A going back 20 years ago. And it was all tied in with the 1999 closing of the NAS Barbers Point and the dissolving of the Campbell Estate and the formation of new corporate entities like James Campbell Company, Ainanui Corp, etc. So the plan actually came out in a mainland news interviews with Inouye many years ago. And this has all been a major insider real estate chess game to fool the public into funding a quote-unquote commuter rail 
when in fact it was never intended to be that. And just in case you're interested, uh, Muffy Hahnemann, Carlisle, Caldwell, Igay, they're all in on it, and they know the insider plan for rail. So in the days to come, <laughs> oh, oh man, as they say in French, the shit's gonna hit the fan. Okay, so, oh, oh, I, yeah, I can't. Do, do you know how that word came to be, Bob? I have to tell you how it came to be. The word came to be. No, I gotta tell you how that word came to be. Years ago, when manure used to be shipped, and they would ship it in. This is true. They would ship it in in in, in, in boats. The manure would would become very moist and you know whatever, and it would stick to everything, and it was useless. So what they did was they put labels on all the manure containers that said ship high in transit. So rather than use all the letters of ship high in transit, they used the first letter and they would write shit on every container, which means ship high in transit. So now we know shit's not a bad word. It stands for ship high in transit. Shit, shit, shit. <laughs> okay, getting on here. <laughs> okay, so moving on now. You know that next week is toxic giving, otherwise known as Thanksgiving. Okay, it is the day of toxicity. And do I like Thanksgiving? Yeah, it's nice, you know. It, there's a sense of community and thankfulness and family traditions, and it brings people together and stuff like that. But it's also a really good day to teach and influence your family to eat less processed foods and make better choices at the grocery store. So Bob walks in with a bag of Fritos and a half a gallon of Coca-Cola. So I have to tell you, do not follow his example. <laughs> so, no, seriously. So it, it is Thanksgiving is a perfect day to teach and influence family to eat less processed foods and make better choices when you buy foods from the grocery store. And I know it's tricky when you have to mess around with handed down time-honored traditions, but using canned mushroom soup that's full of GMOs and MSG, mm, that's a little tricky, okay? That might have to stop. Now, they're saying that 42% of the U.S. population will be obese by 2030. That's 15 years. And our kids are expected to have shorter lifespans than we did. 
and 41% of us are going to inevitably get cancer. Now, this does not have to happen, really. We can alter this trajectory by spreading as much information about the chemicals in food as possible, specifically the chemicals that can be directly linked to obesity and cancer, and that are slowly poisoning us and making us suffer as a society. And this is why I think, well, number one, that aside from being absolutely critical to detail the ingredients in popular holiday meal products that are on sale and lining conventional grocery stores all over the country right now, that's number one. Number two is the real reason why I went on the radio in the first place back in 1981. So let's talk about some of the stuff that is eaten. When you choose a conventional turkey, you, you should think twice about that because it's pumped full of preservatives, what they call natural, which are artificial flavors and antibiotics. And it also could be raised with a very controversial drug that has been banned in 160 countries. So you go out and you buy your frozen turkey and it contains up to 8% of a solution of water, salt, spices, and of course natural flavor, which is the euphemism for GMOs and antibiotics. Then you have the, the manufactured natural flavor, which they put on everything, that is often found in conventional turkey, processed food, and other meat products, is contributing to a food carnival in your mouth because it makes it very difficult to stop eating or drinking because the flavors they have synthesized trick your mind into wanting more and more. So Butterball and other food companies are using this alleged natural flavoring to just give you the best one millionth part of the taste so you only want more of the product, which in turn fills their pockets. So when companies use manufactured flavor, literally they're hijacking your taste buds one by one. So natural flavor, unfortunately, is not the worst consequence of choosing a conventional turkey. 83% of farms that raise turkey in the United States use antibiotics in the feed to make the turkey grow bigger and prevent them from getting sick in the terrible living conditions that they're subjected to. This has to be a concern of using antibiotics in the food supply because as a nation, we really need to address the threat of antibiotic-resistant superbugs. You got factory farms that use 80%, 80% of the nation's antibiotics and is being leached into the soil and the water and the air 
and we're being exposed to them at such an amazing rate, which is causing antibiotic-resistant infections that should worry about all, all, should worry all of us, not just a few of us. So what's happening is, I read an article about MRSA. MRSA, you know, which when you go to a hospital and you touch anything that a doctor or anybody else in surgery has touched, or for the most part anything in a hospital, they have come to the point where they have nothing that will reverse MRSA. So anyway, so getting back to the your yummy food that you're going to have next Thursday, if you buy packaged um, uh, McCormick brown gravy, okay, so it has enriched wheat, it says enriched wheat flour, which comes from flour, niacin, iron, thiamine, mononitrate, riboflavin, and folic acid. They use wheat starch, they use beef fat, they use hydrolyzed, once hydrolyzed is used, that's MSG, soy protein, which is genetically modified. They use corn gluten, which is genetically modified, and wheat gluten. They use salt and onion. They use caramel color, corn syrup solids, potassium chloride, disodium inosinate, and disodium guanolate, which is a flavor enhancer, and sodium cassinate. And then the spices, including white pepper, sugar, garlic, extracts of paprika and annatto. And the cranberry sauce, high fructose corn syrup, water, and genetically modified corn syrup. <laughs> I'm not making this stuff up. I'm just trying to make you be aware. Then you come to the stuffing. And you got the and the amount of ingredients in popular stuffing grants like Pepperidge Farm and Kraft's Stovetop should alone trigger an alarm system in your brain. Because they're both made with cheap white flour, trans fats, nasty preservatives, high fructose corn syrup, which causes more weight gain in people when compared to the consumption of conventional sugar and is linked to the increase in obesity. So if we take a look at the Kraft stovetop stuffing, it has enriched wheat flour, which is wheat flour, niacin, reduced iron, thiamine mononitrate, riboflavin, folic acid. Then they have high fructose corn syrup, hydrolyzed soy protein, partially hydrogenated soybean or cottonseed oil, caramel color, maltodextrin, disodium guanolate, disodium isinate, natural flavor, whatever that means, with BHA, BHT, citric acid, and propogallate. These are GMOs, these are MSGs, and these are chemicals. Then the stuffing, the Pepperidge Farm stuffing, aside from having unbrominated, unbleached, and rich white flour, they also have high fructose corn syrup, partially hydrogenated soybean oil, yeast extract, calcium propanate to uh, retard spoilage, and whatever else. 
So they have GMOs, MSG, and chemicals. And you don't mind eating all that, right? And you keep coming back for more and you can't finish it. Now, a lot of times you'll find sodium bisulfite and a lot of other preservatives in packaged potatoes, like Betty Crocker's creamy butter potatoes or Hungry Jack's mashed potatoes. They are preservatives that no one should be consuming. BHA, for example, is linked to cancer, fertility issues, and kidney problems, and is considered a carcinogen. So in the Betty Crocker creamy butter, aside from potatoes and salt and butter and buttermilk and non-fat milk, okay, they have maltodextrin, which is MSG, corn syrup, which is GMO, partially hydrogenated soybean oil, which is MSG and GMO, natural and artificial flavor. Well, at least it would. So that's two artificial flavors. Modified cornstarch, which is GMO and MSG, silicon dioxide, colors that are added, sodium acid pyrophosphate, sodium bisulfite, and citric acid, full of chemicals, full of MSG, full of GMOs. And then the Hungry Jack mashed potatoes, besides having potato flakes and butter oil, has the chemical sodium bisulfite, citric acid, BHA, which I just told you is linked to cancer, fertility issues, and kidney problems. Monoglycerides, partially hydrogenated, see there we go again, MSG, cottonseed oil, there we go with the GMOs, artificial natural flavor, sodium acid phosphate. Okay, so far when you buy all that stuff, you're just eating chemicals, that's it, nothing else. So the amount of MSG, monosodium glutamate, that can end up in your food is not regulated by the FDA and the soup manufacturers like Campbell. They know this. So when rats were given MSG-laden food, they ate more of it. So when you link this flavor enhancer to your food, hello, obesity. So MSG is an excitotoxin that can excite brain cells to death and cause adverse reactions, including skin rashes, itching, hives, nausea, vomiting, migraine, asthma, heart irregularities, depression, and seizures. And the list of hidden MSG, those names are helpful in understanding the various names for MSG. So look for it on the label and avoid it. So in Campbell's cream of mushroom soup, aside from water, aside from mushrooms, aside from a little bit of cream or whey and dehydrated garlic, <clears throat> they have vegetable oil, that's what they label it, vegetable oil, which comes from corn, cotton seed, canola, or soybean, or GMO, 
modified food starch, which is MSG, wheat flour containing less than 2% of cream, monosodium glutamate, they actually come out and say it, soy protein concentrate, which is GMO, yeast extract, which is MSG, and spice extract. Who knows what the hell spice extract is? I'm telling you. And then if you buy the French's French fried onions, you have, besides the onions and the palm oil and the niacin and the reduced iron and the thiamine mononitrate and the riboflavin and the folic acid, you have soy flour, which is GMO, and you have dextrose, which is going to come from high fructose corn syrup, and you have enriched, which is white flour devoid of any nutrients whatsoever. Plus, in the foods commonly found are trans fats. Now, if you buy the Jiffy cornbread and the Pillsbury Crescent rolls, you got trans fats. And trans fats have been shown to have been deadly in small amounts. If you got a 40 calorie a day increase in trans fats, that can create a 23% higher risk of heart disease. And 40 calories is just a, a mere 2% of a typical 2,000 calorie per day diet and could easily be the amount of trans fats that's found in these products. So can you imagine how much trans fat you would be consuming eating all these products in one day at one meal and then the leftovers for the days ahead. So in the Jiffy corn muffin mix, okay, you have de-germinated yellow cornmeal, okay, that's GMO, wheat flour. Animal shortening, which is a euphemism for lard or hydrogenated lard, or partially hydrogenated lard. And then it contains 2%, less than 2% each, of baking soda, baking soda, sodium acetate, pyrophosphate, monocalcium phosphate. How can you even pronounce this crap? Salt, wheat starch, niacin, reduced iron, BHT, there it is. Then you got citric acid preservative, uh, tocopherol preservative, BHA preservative, tricalcium phosphate, thiamine mononitrate. How can you even pronounce this crap? You can't even pronounce it, but then you're going to eat it. And then you got the crescent, the crescent uh, corn rolls with enriched flour, bleached flour, soybean and palm oil. There we go, GMOs. High fructose corn syrup, hydrogenated palm oil, that of course is MSG, sodium acid pyrophosphate, what the hell is that? Sodium aluminum phosphate, what the hell is that? Partially hydrogenated soybean oil, which is GMO and MSG, mono and diglyceride, dextrose, hello, hello, dextrose, high fructose corn syrup, Xanthan gum, which is MSG. I mean, yellow number five and red number 40, artificial colors, 
so it takes on the color that you are interested in so thanksgiving is giving thanks to eat chemicals i'll be back with more of this in a minute i got a phone call hello you're on the air Oh, just Florida. Everybody's Thanksgiving. Say what? I know you mean well. No, that's a good reminder, though. Oh, my gosh. You know, people so you just, just gotta they make, don't listen you to the show. They can just uh, let it go, right? Lonnie, you got to make stuff from scratch. I know, I know. But, you know, in moderation, you got to... Oh, so, in other God. words, what you're saying is that it's okay to eat poison in moderation. Yeah, I know. I know what you mean. <laughs> uh, why do you think everybody getting problems? You know, that includes let me, me, let me, but uh, at least not a real me, serious. But serious enough for me. Let me. So I just changed my whole eating habits and boom. Let me tell you I, something. To my own illness. The, the one good thing I have to say about down to earth is that on Thanksgiving, and they're open on Thanksgiving, they put out properly made foods that are so good that it's unbelievable. They, hey, they not- start, they open up at 7.30 in the morning and they, they sell out of their Thanksgiving food every Thanksgiving. Oh, I think about, you know Kapolei? Have you been to Kapolei? The store Down to Kapolei? Her? Yeah, I've been out there. Oh my gosh, the spread. Oh, amazing. And you know, I tell myself, look, hardly had anybody when I went there. Well, I went just before lunch, about 10, 10.30. So just when they took all the things out, oh my gosh. Anyway, and then I, I told myself, look at um, all the other Ruby Tuesday and Denny's. Oh, with people I know. standing in line. Yeah, it's crazy. I, I'll tell yeah. you. Well, but hey, that's every, all right. I mean, everybody every has choices year, in life, so. Every year, every Thanksgiving, I go to Down to Earth and load up for the family. And it is, the, it's, first of all, the last time I had turkey was in 1974. So, so they make tofu and they make, you can also buy tofurkey, which is uh, gluten, you know, and then yeah. their dressings and their sweet potatoes and their cranberry sauce. I, I mean, it's amazing. I and know, I food. know. So why do, you know, why, I, why do you have to kill a turkey to have a Thanksgiving? I don't understand that. Uh, I, I, won't, I won't go there. <laughs> no, but I hear a lot of people complaining because they get hungry fast. You know, it's like Dr. Shintani's program. Yeah. Yeah, they said a lot of times, um, they, you know, everybody went gung-ho, right? They always uh, tried Dr. Shintani's program. But even me, I mean, I gotta be honest, I, I come hungry. For some reason, it didn't fill me up. But you know, like Dr. Shintani said, you can always put other things, I mean, healthier things to, to kind of give you more, yes. whatever, protein or yes. make you fuller, feel full. You can always, you know, yeah. be creative with his dishes. And that's what I did. And it helped. Yeah. But actually, now, now I gotta gain weight. I'm not, I'm not, I, can't, uh, I gotta build muscles and uh, gain weight. Well, I'm, I'm thankful for Karen and, and uh, Damien Shaw. You know, she's really strong on um, uh, thyroid, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I always listen.
you know, because of you two and all the other health programs that well, I've been chance to listen. And she told me about that thyroid. So I thought, because I read the article and it says, you know, to, you can lose weight. So that's so I stopped taking it. But I started to lose my lean muscle. She said, no, you keep on taking and it will balance out or something like that. She, under, she explained, you know, where I said, oh, my gosh. So now I'm trying to take it. So And people got to be aware of their own body. Yep. You know, when you, I, I take two, I burp a lot. So I take one during the day and one after later. Uh-huh. You know, at least I'm taking something rather than nothing, you know. Yeah. But anyway, I didn't mean to go on and on. You know what? What? I call because uh, I, I'm waiting for you to talk about the GMO Monster Salmon. Oh, it's been in the news. So I said, oh, I bet Hash going to the first thing you're going to be talking about uh, that. You know, it's like I was talking with Bob about it this morning. Oh. And, and at least part of the ingredient to make the salmon comes from another fish, comes from the eel. And the reason why they use the eel gene is because it creates growth faster. So it's oh, because they just raise it in the farm, you know, it's the It's all artificial anyway. You yeah. know, now what's happening, and I should talk about it more down the road. Yeah, yeah okay, you know what, uh, yeah, before my battery gets weaker. Okay, uh, see can, on the radio. Yeah, when you talk about, yeah, just so that people know, I mean, how do we know what we're buying? You got to read labels. You have to read labels. Oh, yeah, I guess so. Now, Monsanto is playing around with genetically modified humans. <laughs> really? Uh, I don't know. Maybe I missed it. I, 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 I'm so overwhelmed with uh, what's going on with the world today. I, I, you know, sometimes as far, I... As far as I'm concerned, it's all a bunch of ship high in transit. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. But, but you know, hey, sometimes it takes somebody like you to kind of push the button to for us people out yeah, here. Not? I mean, I'm okay. I know. So, I, I mean, you know, I've been listening to you from day one, but, and, and all the other uh, programs. So, um, and I read a lot of books, That's you know, good. for reference. So, and, and I make my own decision because every human body is different. You know, I so. tried to contact uh, the, the, the lady from the natural food store where you are. And I, oh, how come? And I left message after message. She never called me back. So I don't she, think she wants to carry the book. No, I don't think. Well, okay. And I'm going to be seeing her because my product can... My organic honey came in, and I like the small bottle because it lasts forever. I yep, love that yep, honey. Yep. So, okay, I, I, I'll get 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 on the case, and if I think she, yeah, I don't think so. She was she's she's really uh, open-minded, you know. She, well, I ask she, her. Ask her. Let me know. Yeah, I'll tell her to call you, or I'll get you guys together. Sounds good. Okay. Hey, take happy, it easy happy, and happy holidays happy to holiday everybody. To you too. We want to wait listeners, especially. <laughs> okay. And you. Thank you. Aloha. Okay. Bye. So, now you got desserts. You got the craft jet puffed. You got Cool Whip. You got the, the Pillsbury pie crust. You got the, the other pie crust. All of them. Every single one 
of those dessert products have GMOs and every single one of them has MSG. I, I'm, I'm serious. I, I'm really serious. GMOs are in 80 to 90 percent of processed foods and you should make a point to eliminate them entirely from your kitchen. No long-term human health studies have been conducted, but a lot of animals have, animal studies have been conducted that produce horrifying effects, and the mass consumption of GMOs poses a very serious risk to your health because they have not undergone the mandatory safety assessment because everybody in the FDA, everybody in the government agency, they're all former Monsanto employees. And this is how bad it is. So there's moving on. So I want to wish you all a happy Thanksgiving and be careful just because a tradition is something that you think you have to adhere to, that's one thing. But to adhere to a health-destroying tradition, no. I think that's something you have to reverse. And I think that when I made my change, okay, I was one guy, there is nothing that I buy without reading labels. Nothing. I used to like to buy the salads at Whole Foods, but how can you, how can you go and buy stuff that they use canola oil with everything? And these are supposed to be the the bastion of health food stores in the U.S. The criteria, no, they're just all about money. Plus, they're all hypocrites because the the guy who runs Whole Foods, I can't remember his name, but it's not even worth remembering. The guy's a vegan, and yet he makes money off of selling dead animals. You know what's really weird? I, 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 you know, sometimes I think I should talk about it, sometimes I shouldn't, but I will. You don't have to believe it if you don't want to, but the reality is every body whether it's in an amoeba body or an elephant body, is a vehicle. A vehicle driven by a driver. The driver is the soul. The soul is eternal. The body is temporary. It has a beginning and has an end. The soul just goes from body to body. So in its transmigration process, the ultimate form which gives you the option of coming back to the material world or moving on to the spiritual world is the human form. <clears throat> so if you have the soul in the body of an animal that is raised for consumption, okay, with, before I get to that, in, in the lower species below the human form, all of those living entities, all of those drivers in all the different vehicles 
do not bear any karmic reactions whatsoever because they're governed by the laws of nature. So if you're in a wolf body and you eat a rabbit, you're not going to suffer the, 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 the soul in the wolf body is not going to suffer any karma for eating the rabbit because by nature he's a carnivore and that's what he's supposed to eat. Okay. The human form is an herbivore form, which means it's got a convoluted digestive tract, which means it's not suitable for eating the muscle of an animal because it's hard to digest and it just creates fatness and it just creates clogged arteries and it creates cancer and it creates all kinds of stuff that most of you guys are dealing with but you don't want to recognize it. So anyway, so what happens to the soul that is in the body that is raised for consumption? That soul has to take rebirth in the same kind of form until it can leave the body naturally, which almost never happens. Because that's how you pass on to the next form. So if, if, if it's for consumption, that soul doesn't have a chance for generations and generations and generations. Now you're in the human form. In the human form, we have two choices. We can turn to sense gratification or we can turn to gratification coming from rendering service to God. Okay. But, and there's always a but, the human form that consumes flesh, the driver of that body has to take rebirth in a lower form and not have the opportunity to never come back to the material world. It, that's the reality because if you read the Old Testament, God when he, when he was trying to help the people living in the desert where they couldn't grow plants, he told them they could eat flesh foods but they had to be prepared in such a way that they had to drain all the blood out of the body before they could eat it. So they would have to kill whatever animal they ate, turn it upside down, let it hang for a week so all the blood could drain out. You mean to tell me this is what they do in slaughterhouses? No, it's not what they do. They kill them, they skin them, they cut them, they pack them, they sell them. Okay. And if you don't believe that the soul leaves the body and that the soul is eternal and that the soul transmigrates from one body to another, maybe you should read 2 Corinthians 6. I mean, that's in the New Testament where Jesus said, it is better to be out of the body and at home with the Lord than to be in the body and away from the Lord. But even if you are in the body, you can still be with the Lord. 
who is he talking about to be out of the body if the body is a vehicle and someone else is the driver something for you guys to think about anyway that's where karma comes from because the human form is designed to go back to the spiritual world and not have to undergo thousands and thousands of transmigrations from form to form to form to reach the human form and if you go back and down down under you go back to the lower species who's to say that your next birth is going to be the human form it doesn't work that way okay so there's a book out there written by and she was a guest on the show a long time ago dr sherry tenpenny and it's um it's a book that is called and he says with a straight face saying no to vaccines <clears throat> and the book explains why vaccines are toxic they're toxic because they can they contain mercury formaldehyde and aluminum which is poisonous to humans and they do have package inserts and other information that's required by law to be disclosed to the public and even though those inserts are produced for consumers the doctors do not make them available to their patients and the vaccines are grown on and contain foreign tissue and altered genetic material of both human and animal origin this is the tip of the iceberg so immunization the act of injecting vaccines depresses and disables brain and immune function so honest unbiased scientific investigation has shown vaccinations to be a causative factor in many illnesses including sudden infant death syndrome development disorders like autism seizures mental retardation hyperactivity dyslexia immune deficiency like AIDS or Epstein-Barr syndrome and degenerative disease like muscular dystrophy multiple sclerosis arthritis cancer leukemia lupus fibromyalgia and on and on and on and the high rate of adverse vaccine reactions is being denied and ignored by conventional medicine prior to 1990 doctors were not legally required to report adverse reactions to the Centers for Deceit Control and Procrastination and the adverse reactions were considered normal and were ignored or diagnosed as other diseases and even with this horrendous system reported damage is substantial so despite the current legal obligation less than 10% of doctors report the damage they witness to the CDC and throughout history many prominent medical and non-medical health professionals around the world have voiced their vehement opposition to vaccination calling it scientific fraud the mass vaccination programs systematically and recklessly endanger the public while disregarding their rights vaccinations break the skin so technically it's a surgery 
All surgeries by law require informed consent, and informed consent is rarely attained before vaccines are administered. So doctors will vaccinate the unwitting and the uninformed, and the vaccine manufacturers package inserts which contain biased industry claims and the bare minimum required by laws to reveal are not routinely made available to consumers so they can make a more informed choice. So double talk and unethical enforcement like threats, intimidation, coercion are used to ensure vaccination compliance. There's no proof that vaccinations are safe or effective. There's no control group studies. Authorities consider that to not vaccinate is unethical and have refused to study unvaccinated volunteers. So if control studies were done according to our honest science, vaccines would be outlawed. Then there's studies that were done that are not designed to eliminate the examiner's bias. So the authorities who compile and report the disease statistics work closely with and have a vested interest in the companies which produce the vaccine. And in other industries, this kind of bias isn't tolerated. So injuries and deaths in the studies are attributed to anything but vaccinations to kind of change the results and make it appear that the vaccines have a little bit of merit. The laws that are created allow the drug companies to violate the public trust. So in private vaccine damage suits, information is revealed condemning vaccines as deadly. The vaccine manufacturers are using gag orders as a leverage tool in vaccine damage legal settlements to restrict the plaintiff from disclosing to the public the truth about the dangerous nature of vaccines. And our government has allowed these unethical tactics to be used which jeopardize public welfare. The National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act of 1987 is a pacifier. The compensation program pretends to acknowledge the existence of vaccine damage by making right the wrongs done. Nothing in the act attempts to avert the adverse events from happening in the future. So the act is the result of vaccine producers pressuring the government to immunize them from private lawsuits which can run an average of $4 million per case and the fund is made up of tax added into the cost to the consumer of each vaccine, making the vaccine consumers pay for one another's and perhaps their own injury. Then the vaccine manufacturers have made themselves immune from accountability. In recent years, it's become even more difficult to be compensated through the program due to the parameters for determining vaccine damage changing and coroners now ruling out vaccine damage and charging patients with shaken baby syndrome.
I mean, it's ridiculous. And then you got the private insurance companies, which do the best liability studies and have totally abandoned coverage for damage to life and property due to acts of God, nuclear war, and nuclear power plant accidents, and vaccination. See, everybody's protected. And a vaccination is not emergency medicine because it's claimed that vaccines avert a possible future risk and yet people are pressured to decide right then and there. So the doctor's use of fear and intimidation to force compliance, do you think that's ethical? Vaccines are drugs with potential serious adverse reactions. So time and forethought should be given before any decision is made. And there's no law that enforces vaccination for babies or anyone else. The vaccination is linked with school attendance, but it's not compulsory. Exemptions from vaccinations, although restricted and monitored, are part of every state public health law and can be expanded by public pressure. So the Departments of Health, the Departments of Education, the American Moron Association, aka the American Medical Association personnel profit from the sale of vaccines. Then they keep the existence of and details about the exemptions unknown. So the question is, should I vaccinate? <laughs> and since the first mandatory vaccination law that was passed in 1903, the belief in vaccination has been promoted by a pro-vaccine government, a pro-vaccine school system, and a pro-vaccine Western allopathic medicine history. With regard to the government, the U.S. government is the largest purchaser of vaccines in the country. Nearly 30% of the Centers for Deceit Control and Procrastination's annual budget is composed of purchasing vaccines and ensuring vaccination is completed for every child in the country. And laws have been passed to protect the vaccine manufacturers from liability, while at the same time the state laws require the parents to inject their kids with up to 100 vaccinations prior to entering school. So if a vaccine injury or death occurs after a vaccine, the parent cannot sue the doctor, the drug company, or the government. They are required to petition the vaccine court for damages, which will take years and is often denied. Now with the schools, each state has school vaccination laws which require children of appropriate age to be vaccinated for several communicable diseases. The state vaccination laws mandate that children be vaccinated prior to being allowed to attend public or private schools, and failure to vaccinate children can result in the little kid being denied from attending school, civil fines, criminal penalties against the parents or guardians. What the school does not tell the parents is that in every state an exemption list exists allowing parents to legally refuse vaccines and allowing their little kids to attend that school. And then the medical industry advocates vaccines and often demands that parents vaccinate their children 
or be dismissed from the medical practice. You know that a sizable portion of a pediatrician's income is derived from insurance reimbursement for vaccination and the ever-expanding vaccination schedule that includes increasingly more expensive vaccines has been a source of increased revenues for vaccinating doctors. Unfortunately, many doctors have not read the package insert for the vaccines which they so readily inject into the little patients, and they are not aware of the full range of chemicals coming through that needle. So as a parent, a grandparent, aunt, uncle, a brother, a sister, a legal guardian, you have the right to know and you have the right to choose. Parents are busy. They don't have the time to spend hundreds of hours researching the medical literature about the problems associated with vaccines. But saying no to vaccines does the work for you. It's fully referenced, it's fully indexed, and you can use this book time and time again to find support for your decisions about vaccinations. Do I get upset about things like this? No, I try to remain calm. But if you can get that book by Sherry Tenpenny, saying no to vaccines, go online, do what you have to do. This is something that you need to do because we are living in a world where people do not give a crap about anybody. The food companies only want to make money. The doctors only want to make money. The government only wants to make money. At whose expense? At our expense. Because it's all about money. Look at our Honolulu County Council. When I went to testify, and I said, why in the world would anybody choose an option for rail that would cost seven to ten billion dollars versus an option that would never reach seven hundred million dollars. The only thing that I can think of is bigger kickbacks and bitter, bigger payoffs. And the response was, thank you. Next, speaker. <laughs> they don't give it. Nobody gives a crap. Five two four ten eighty. Hello. I was listening to your list of um, poisoned um, <laughs> ingredients in foods. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to make a list of uh, the dirty dozen of, <laughs> of the uh, the ones that come in disguise, a lot of that stuff people gave up on that. I thought that was gone. No, man, they still use that crap. Oh, they used to come as, as, uh, in disguise as shortening. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's all out there, man. It's like, it's like nobody cares. If, it, if it's cheap to make and they can make money on it, then that's how it works. And then MSG, as I keep saying a long time ago, MSG comes disguised as yeast, as a yeast extract. Yeast extract or autolyzed yeast. Anything hydrolyzed. Anything modified or anything texturized, that's all MSG. 
and then Lark comes to disguise as partially hydrogenated something? Well, Part partially hydrogenated, that's also MSG. Hyd modified, hydrolyzed, hydrogenated. I mean, they, they disguise it. They disguise in so many ways because they know that people are becoming aware of MSG, but they don't know all the euphemisms. And if you eat any more, um, you got to eat naturally. No, you got to eat naturally. You've got to. You got to read labels. If, if you got like you go out, you buy a bag of potato chips. You know it's got a lot of fat. Okay. So if it says potatoes, and it says safflower oil, and it says salt, you say, well, okay. You go out, you buy a bag of Doritos. Oh man, that's you got a list. you got a label list that must be six, six inches high. That's all artif artificial crap. Only to make it taste real good, so you can't stop eating it, and you spend more money. That's what it's all about. Yeah. That's life, man. But people can eat that stuff and still live. People can eat pork and still live. My, my grand, my grand, my, my auntie and her husband, they're in the, in the 90s and they both eat pork. I don't get it. Sometimes, sometimes it has an effect, sometimes it doesn't have an effect. But usually what happens is people wind up with arthritis or they might have a heart condition or they got high blood pressure or whatever. And it doesn't cause death, it just causes causes them to live on prescription drugs all their life. Well, thanks for the information. Um, yeah, no worries. Oh, all right. I got a bell. Happy holiday. <laughs> well, I'm going to wish you all a very happy Thanksgiving, even though I have possibly destroyed your holiday. But that's not why I'm here. I'm just pointing stuff out to you that you have to understand that the only thing the food companies, the government, the medical profession, and any other retailer cares about is how much money you have in your pocket. They don't care if you're healthy. They don't care if you die. They just want you to take your last dollar that you have and buy their product. No hard and fast rule. Anyway, uh, I, I want to sincerely wish you all a happy Thanksgiving and hope that your Thanksgiving is sensible and realistic and you can avoid all the chemicals and whatever. And uh, I'll catch you all next week. Aloha.
people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. Alfred Addisk, and this is the American Independence Hour for Tuesday. What is this, 24th day of November, year of our Lord, 2015? I am going to now do the dance of the three veils. First veil number one is, I am a man made in God's image and endowed uh, as per Genesis 1, 26 through 28, given dominion over the animals. I can't be an animal. Veil number two, I'm endowed by my Creator with certain unalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's as per the Declaration of Independence. And veil number three, yes, I'm broadcasting from within the borders of the state of Texas, meaning a state of a member state of the Perpetual Union styled the United States of America. A lot of people, I do that every program. A lot of people probably think it's silly. Some people, if you haven't heard it before, say, what the heck's wrong with that guy? Well, I think this is its a statement of who I am, what I am, where I am. And it's the sort of thing that I think is just a good habit. It's admittedly something that some people are going to say, that sounds a little odd, that sounds a little peculiar, but where's the harm? All right. All I've done is make a statement of my relationship to the Bible. I've made a statement on my relationship to the Declaration of Independence that we celebrate every 4th of July, and I've made a statement as to where I am within the borders of the state of Texas. Right? <laughs> and a lot of people think this is all obvious, and gee, why do you bother? But it's not obvious. It's the sort of thing that's a, from my perspective, I think it's important you have to understand these ideas, and you have to be able to express them. Um, at the proper time, and if you can, maybe, maybe you can resist 
the attentions of the duly constituted authorities. Our co-host tonight, as just about always, is Frank Stefan. Hello, Frank. How are you doing? Hi there, Al. Uh, you know, you, you know your your disclaimer there. You know what it make it. <laughs> I think of preparedness. Yeah. When I hear you say this all the time, because it's like, yeah, okay, maybe tonight nobody's listening that cares. To you know, it doesn't matter whether you said it or not. But next time might be different, or the time after that. Just like preparing, just like yeah. you know, getting storage food. Uh, hey, maybe something won't happen next month or the month after or the year after. But what about when it does? And yeah. and what's the harm? That's the main thing, you know. With there's a couple of different strategies that I've kind of that I've worked out a little bit over time. And one of the things I try to do with strategies like something I've some of the things I've done with the notice and right of inquiry. I think that strategy is valid, but if it's not, where's the harm? Well, All I'm doing is saying, look, ask questions under certain circumstances, and they have to answer your questions. And if they don't, you are presumably denied procedural due process, and the court can't assume jurisdiction in the case. Now, if I'm wrong and the stat strategy is invalid, it's not like I have asked or suggested to people that they send some declaration into the government and tell and them this, that, them. or the other thing. And I'm just saying, look, ask some questions. And I do that because I try not to advance a strategy that will make things any worse than they already are. See, to me, that's the main thing in everything I do in life. Just try not to make things worse. <laughs> yeah, it's not an optimistic strategy exactly, but after a while you get sort of realistic about it. You say, you know, I got to stop making things worse. I got to just try to hold it where it is and not make it any worse. At least, yeah, you know. Um, you were mentioned, or I just mentioned that notion about uh, about notice and the right of inquiry, and I have a friend of mine who's given me a copy of a notice from the Internal Revenue Service. It's notice LT-16, if I can read it correctly, even though I have my glasses on, it's a challenge to read it, and even so. Uh, it says, please call us about your unpaid taxes. <laughs> All right? It doesn't even say greetings. It doesn't say... Uh, Hello, taxpayer. Ta no, it doesn't say dear taxpayer. It doesn't say that, but it does have this... It does have, it is a notice. It says it's notice LT-16. All right. Now, if my my argument is correct, their notice creates the recipient's right of inquiry. And here we have, it's, there's, there's several pages here. I think there's five pages altogether in this notice or in this package. Uh, on page two, page, all right, three pages. It says three pages altogether. Um... On page two, under penalties, it says we are required by law to charge any un, uh, applicable penalties, failure to pay, uh, removal of or, or removal or reduction of penalties. Um, let me see. This is not quite the one I'm looking for. Might be. Yeah, here it is. Here's the one I want. Sorry. What the, what's the number on that? On that again? Never mind. Oh, okay. So it's actually on page three of the three pages. 
And it says removal of penalties. If you were penalized based on written advice from the IRS, we will remove the penalty if you meet the following criteria. One, if you asked the IRS for written advice on a specific issue. Two, you gave to the uh, complete you gave us complete and accurate information. Three, you received written advice from us and four, you relied on the written advice and were penalized for having done so. Well, I'm reading this and it says you got four criteria that you have to meet all together to get rid of the penalties, but it still says if you ask the IRS for written advice on a specific issue. That's not quite the same thing as what I'm arguing about when I say their notice creates my right of inquiry, but it's very close. Well, wait a minute. I When you were saying this, I was thinking, hmm. And I'm thinking, well, instead of me saying, what evidence leads you to presume that I am a taxpayer? Could you please advise me as to what evidence you rely on to come to the conclusion that I'm a taxpayer? That's, you know, that's actually a good idea. Because that's now, right. advise, advice, see. Yeah, I know. That's, that's it. <laughs> yeah. And see, what's happened here is a friend who's got this has used this notice and right of inquiry ar- argument over a period of, I think it started out five years ago, something like that. The IRS contacted him. He responded with some questions. And he was contacted by the Austin, Texas IRS office. We're in Texas. He lives in Texas. And they said, you owe us some money and blah, blah, blah. And he said, well, I got some questions and here they are. Never answered the questions. Next thing you know, he heard from the IRS office in Chicago. <laughs> Sent him the same thing. He said, well, you owe us some money. He says, well, I got some questions. Gave him the questions. Never heard another word from them. Then he hears from the IRS office in San Diego. They, they, they presenting the same notice every time. And I don't know how many offices he heard from. But it was somewhere in the neighborhood of a dozen, 15 offices. He'd get a new one about every 90 days. And he would send his questions by registered mail, and they would not call back. And then finally, or they would not write back. And then finally, they just hadn't heard from him for several years. Now this is back, and they're trying it again. Uh, You know what seems really odd about it to me, though, and and different than anything that I've ever seen, is that they, did you say they want him to call them? Well, I don't know if they said they wanted him to call them. Because that's what I thought you said. Please call us about your unpaid taxes. See, doesn't that seem odd to you? I've never heard the IRS saying, call us, because I wouldn't, you know, that's a policy of mine, is, you know, we don't speak. My experience is that they want you to call them. Yeah, they'd like that. Because you're not going to create any admissible evidence. That's right. And you get on the phone with somebody who's trained to BS you and con you one way or the other, and after you're kind of wore out, then you go away and send them the money. Well, sure. And everybody knows how this can go. Anybody who's ever been interviewed and anybody who ever, you know, know, (laughs) if you've learned anything, you learn how this can go. 
and it isn't good. No, what you want it, and the truth of the matter is, if you're going to make phone calls to someone who hand, handles these calls every day, day in, day out, they're going to be more skillful at dealing with this call than you are. You may have some great ideas about what you want to say to this guy, <laughs> but he is trained to know how to get around your great ideas. Yeah, and there's a reason why, you know, the courts finally relented and decided that, well, look, you got to tell people they have a right to be shut up, okay, because this is how everybody gets in trouble. Yeah. You know, talking to the IRS or any yeah. other government is not a good idea unless you're creating a paper, you know, uh, stack behind you, you know. Well, they're going right. to create notes on the conversation. Yeah. And those notes will not include everything that was said. No. But they will include, I'm sure they're trained to take notes on, okay, you just hit a high note, get that one, get that one, get that one, and he said such and such, such and well, such and such and such, and they'll ignore the other, you know, the rest of the stuff that you've said. You know, and the notes create a, are a form of evidence that might be used against you. They may well, complicate your, your situation. It's just like when you said, oh, well, advice. Yeah. To me, that was a, you know, Bell said, ding, 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 remember, hey, hmm, I can use that. Okay, advise. Okay, advise me. Now I'm asking you for advice. Yeah. You know, uh, I ask you to advise me. I am asking for advice. And they're, and not only that, they are implicitly saying they have to give you that advice. Yeah, well, I'm not responsible. If you rely on their advice and it comes to a bad ending... You don't have to pay a penalty. It doesn't say you don't have to pay taxes, but you don't have to right. pay the penalty. You can get rid of the penalty for, for following their advice. But the point is, you get to ask questions in writing, and they have to give you written answers. And although they didn't say written answers, I don't recall them saying written answers, but you make written questions, how else are they going to give you <laughs> the advice? They pretty much have to respond in writing. And if their advice turns badly, then you don't have to pay a penalty. Um, but the point is they're recognizing you have a right to ask questions. And they have a correlative duty to answer your questions, although, as you said, maybe it would be a good idea to up our game a little bit and start phrasing the questions in terms of asking for advice. Sure. Why not? Not just asking questions. Uh, I mean, what I've done up until now, I say, do you understand such and such and right. such and such, yes or no? Do you understand such and such and such and such, yes or no? I just make yes or no questions. Maybe they have to be put together where we have, where we ask for advice. It might be that we would make for a stronger series of questions for dealing with the IRS, especially in light of this form LT-16, or notice LT-16. Well, you know, I mean, that's the whole thing is that, okay, uh, could you advise me to your understanding of it's just a matter of rewording it but you know people yeah. think these things are ri ridiculous but yeah. okay well, they kind of are but it's not our yeah, yeah. well yeah that's ridiculous the they made it ridiculous that's, it's like yeah okay maybe it is uh i watch jeopardy and i think it's stupid to say yeah. what is uh, but you know what if you don't you lose yeah i know it's the way the game is played so, you know what? It can be ridiculous or not, but that is the way it's played. And if you don't do it right, you yep. lose. Yep. Dot your so. I's, cross your T's, or...
you know, to be prepared to go to court. Yeah, and nobody wants that. Uh, and I wonder if one of those penalties you're not responsible for is jail. You know, that's an, inter that's an interesting question. But do you know how many people are prosecuted criminally by the IRS every year? What, two or three? Uh, yeah. Uh, I think it's a hundred, excuse me, I think it's a thousand charges as of a couple of years ago. And generally speaking, they charge, if you're going to be charged criminally, they'll come at you with two, three charges at a time. It's not just one charge for one defendant. It'll probably be about three charges per defendant, which implies that nationwide, they only do a couple hundred criminal suits, criminal prosecutions per year. Those are pretty slim odds. Mostly it's all civil, and it's just a question of give us, show me the money. You know, uh, once in a while they do criminal, and if you do, if they do, it's a lot of trouble. It's not easily. It's not something to laugh at or, you know, sit back and say, "Ho, oh, oh, ho, I can handle that." Well, maybe you can't. Maybe you can't. But, you know, I, I, I just went to the IRS website. Yep. IRS.gov, which mm -hmm. I wonder how they get to do that. But anyway, I looked up the LT16, right? Yeah, that's what it says here. If I'm if put my other glasses on and make sure that I'm reading this thing correctly, LT16 is what it appears to me. Okay, what they say it is, man, this is a one paragraph notice. Yeah. And it says, We may take enforcement action to collect taxes you owe because you have not responded to previous notices we sent you on this matter. We need, we need to hear from you about your overdue taxes or tax returns. That's so the it. argument in this case, he hasn't heard from the IRS for several years, mm -hmm. but he responded to them by registered mail repeatedly. Probably, again, I'm guessing to a dozen or 15 different offices, and he sent questions to every one of them, and after that they just stopped. Well, uh, they would and, never be, and no one ever answered his questions. So there, the premise. I'll have to look that up on the on the on the, uh, on the website myself. Yeah, and it, it it does say the the first two things is obviously you can pay the amount within ten days. You can you know file any missing tax returns within ten days and send the payment. Or it says if you've already paid the balance, if you've already filed the returns, if you don't think you owe the balance, or that you're required to file a return. Or, if you can't pay the balance, call the telephone number listed on the letter. Mm-hmm. You know, and they don't say, or write. No, I know. They don't want you to write. I don't think that, uh, you know. Uh, I, and honestly, yet, on the back side, and yet in the section on page three, it says, uh, if you ask the IRS for written advice mm -hmm. on a specific issue. Yeah. So you got to ask them for written advice. Everything is in writing. All right? This business about talking to people, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's just gossip and white noise. Yeah, you it, it's not going to help writing, you. Create evidence that might do you some good later on. Yeah, I can't imagine how a telephone call could ever help you. And, no. that, you know, that's why they want you to do it, because I don't think it can help you. No, and it won't put them in any jeopardy. No, because and that's certainly there isn't going to be any evidence created that can be used. Good spot for them to be in. I think we've got a caller. 
Oh, my goodness. Who we got here? You have a caller. This is Fritz in Missouri. Hello, Fritz. How you doing? How you doing? Can't complain. One time I lived down the road from your uh, from your home in, in uh, Jefferson County, Missouri. Well, all right. And uh, uh, I talked I, to I, I wasn't my home, but I resided there for a period of time. Yeah. I didn't I didn't mean to call it your home, I'm sorry. It's all right. And uh oh Frank I talked to Frank one time because I also lived down the road from Monsanto and about three stoplights south and about three stoplights west is the uh, Jewish Community Center and the Holocaust Museum. And then if you go about three or four stoplights north, you got Boeing and the uh, and the radioactive landfill up there by the airport in St. Louis. Sounds very scenic. Mm. So it's really scenic around here. Yeah. But uh, today Nothing I'm like a radioactive th- landfill to increase the variety of flora and fauna. That's right, and cancer and uh, cancer. Uh huh. Well, no. And uh, but I'm calling from the cabin in the Ozarks tonight, and I really like what you're talking about because uh, you know I listened to uh, um, uh, my buddy over there on uh, oh shoot, uh, you know the sovereign to surf guy, and uh, talking about uh, your yeah, your legal status. Yeah. And uh, it was time for me to go and apply for Social Security, and I went online, and, uh, you know, they step you through page one, answer this question, page two, answer this question, and so on. And then they, they get to the page that says, are you a, are you a U.S. citizen? And there's no, there's no box to check for I'm a U.S. national. There's no box. So if you want to go through the complete process there's no so then i decided well i'll go in person so i went to the to the social security office and i sat down with the guy you know behind the bulletproof glass he's on yep. the one side and i'm on the mm-hmm. other and they got a little computer terminal for you there too and he says well if you want to sign up just fill out fill out the form right there on your computer and it's the same thing you know i don't have i said well i'm not a u.s citizen i'm a national and he said listen he said if you have a if you have a social security number, then that's proof that you're a U.S. citizen. And I said, well, I don't think so, you know. So, well, I, I'll just go home and do some more. Re- I'll talk to the State Department. Thanks for your time. Goodbye. So what I'm getting at is this this argument that you you have here about um, uh, 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 asking for advice. Yeah. Okay. Is Is really key here. Because I don't know how else to crack the how to crack the nut right now on this. Because well, uh, it, again, it's asking. It does reference asking advice in writing, right? right? So if Instead you're just talking to this guy through the, if you're just talking to this guy who's on the other side of the bulletproof glass, that doesn't count. You need no. written questions, and perhaps they have to be framed in the form of asking for advice. And that's right. why well, the computer aided uh, application system. Mm-hmm. Well, so I thought I'd sort of throw that in yeah. and wish you all a happy Thanksgiving tonight. Happy Thanksgiving to you. And I, I appreciate what was Frank Roger does Taylor. and what you do. I, I, I wish I had your mind. You know, I, I'm I'm a musician, so I, 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 I do my mind mathematically, <laughs> Frank. Oh. I hope you'll post this 
um, particular show on your archives so that I can pull it down and, and revisit what you all talked about in, in a reasonable time frame. And I, <laughs> Before the and end of this I, year, for sure. <laughs> I love you all, and uh, all right. say hi to Melissa. and uh, Melody. Thank you, thank you for your time. All right, thank you. Appreciate your call. Have a happy Thanksgiving. Um, all right, well, you can see, in some regards, it's so much easier to do this in writing. You get to sit home. You don't have to ask your questions over the telephone. You don't have to think on your feet, right, which is difficult. People talking to you, you're trying to ask questions. They're trying to talk to you. Uh, it's difficult to keep all your questions, and, and you'll see the new opera. Something will come to mind. And if you write it, you have an opportunity to sit down and handcraft your questions. You can send them off in the mail, especially registered mail. You can use that as evidence of push comes to shove. Uh, it's it's so much, and then they either they have to answer your questions correctly. If they don't answer your questions correctly and or if they don't answer them at all, then you're not getting the first element of procedural due process, which is notice. The notice is you control the notice, which a lot of people find they think that's a, a bizarre assertion. But so far as I'm able to tell, that's the way it works because... When they send you a notice, by law, they don't have to send you a notice of all relevant facts and all relevant law. If they did, you can imagine that their average notice might be the size of a, of a good, a decent-sized telephone book. Imagine whatever it is they're doing here in this notice LT-16. Imagine that they had to send you a copy of all relevant law and all relevant facts. I mean, it could be a real chore. Plus, they wouldn't be able to use a unique form like LT-16. They'd have to handcraft every one of these things, say, well, this one implies, this one requires CFR 2303-16 uh, or something. You know, I mean, they would have to go through this and handcraft every one of these things. Yep. They can't do it. They don't have to send you all the information. They only have to send you enough to put you on inquiry, meaning that you got to notice, and say, okay, I don't get this, so i got to call up. And I got to say, or not call up, but write, in my opinion, and say, what up? What are you guys well, talking about? Well, what and that's that's something they make very clear. At it, this whole notice is about the fact that, hey, guess why we're doing this? Because you didn't respond. Yeah, but in this, we sent you a notice and you didn't respond. That's their whole basis of why mm -hmm. they're sending you this particular notice. You know, yeah. whether you did or not, that's what they're saying. Yeah. You know, they're saying, hey, you didn't respond. You got which 10 days to pay what? up. Which means what? You accept everything we're saying. Pretty Whatever. much. That's what it comes down to. What I've tried to explain to people is you've got three options when you receive a notice. One is you can respond with statements. Mm -hmm. And you can tell them you're all satanic SOBs and you're going to burn in hell. And they will say, thank you very much. 
because you have made statements in response to the notice and the research I've done indicates that when you make statements it's evidence that you believe you have sufficient notice and now they can take you to the opportunity to be heard where you'll be found guilty 98 percent of the time you know and that goes to what I've actually seen in regular you know state court cases over various things that people have tried to do the whole improper notice thing yep you're standing there in front of the judge telling him that you were not properly noticed yep and he says you're here aren't you I get that that's the end of it yeah you're here I don't have to tell you anything you know, you're saying, you know, because there are arguments where, look, you got to let me know this, you got to let me know that, you got to tell me this. You oh, they were that. arguing that the notice was incomplete, but they did not pose questions in response to the notice. They thought they'd just walk into court and say, this is an incomplete notice. That's right. And, uh-huh. and the judge said, hey, guess what? You're here. Yeah. So that's all we wanted. Yeah. Okay, yeah. we just wanted you here. So obviously it was good enough. Yep, we've got you there. I agree. But <laughs> you know, well, and I've seen the judges do this. Yeah. You know, because people have tried and said, "Well, look, you know, hey, the statute says you're supposed to have this, you're supposed to have that." They don't care. They're like, "Look, we'll talk about it now. Now that you're here in my court." Yeah. And that's and not a good place to start a conversation. Yeah, and then and by appearing you've given you've made you haven't qualified your appearance to say it's a special appearance, probably. Mm, no. And you've given them made a general appearance, which means they got you. All right, now they can pretty much do what they want to do. You are now experiencing what they refer to as the opportunity to be heard. Yeah. <laughs> as you are found guilty ninety eight percent of the time and maybe more than that. All right. You don't want the opportunity to be heard, in my opinion. What you want to do is control, and you can do that if you control the notice. Again, you can have three things you can do in response to notice. One, make statements. The research I've done indicates that it's presumed that only an idiot makes statements. And they actually use the term imprudent man would make statements in response to a notice without knowing all the relevant facts in law. Sure. All right? If you make statements, nevertheless, it is presumed you're not imprudent, and it's presumed you know that you know all the law and all the facts that are necessary to deal with this notice. Making statements allows them to presume you have sufficient notice. Now they can take you to the opportunity to be heard where you'll be found guilty 98% of the time. Second option is go silent. Don't say a thing in response to the notice. Don't and you get notice, notice LT-16s coming your way. Yeah, and you'll eventually get to the judge who says, you're here, aren't you? Yeah. And you say, well, their notice was incomplete. Doesn't matter. The notice does not create your right of silence. It creates your right of inquiry, and that's the third option on the notice. Ask questions. Don't make statements. Don't go silent. Ask questions. And if you're fairly astute at asking questions and you get into it, I mean, you know, I mean, if you can take this stuff, once you get the hang of this, you can take a document like this notice LT-16, and there's a basis, there's just line after line after line where you can ask questions. What do you mean by this? What do you mean by this? For example, we talk about, I wrote, a, wrote an article back most of a year ago, reading is guessing. And in fact, the root word of to read, 
was to guess. And it's been that way for centuries. And everybody thinks that's crazy when you first hear it, but actually it makes perfect sense because virtually every word has multiple definitions. And when you're reading, you're actually guessing which one of the definitions fits in the context that you're reading. And it's not necessarily the definitions. You may think you know what the definitions are, but, but, but you don't necessarily do. So, point here. Well, here you're, we guessing, have, you're guessing what the author meant. Yeah. You yeah. Know, and you don't know. He's not yeah. there. That's right. And especially, you, you look in the dictionary. I mean, we can look at a dictionary. Please call us about your unpaid taxes. Well, us. I mean, let's get a definition for us. We could ask, well, who do you mean by us? And what about these taxes? Are these taxes direct, indirect? Um, do they apply only within the territories? Do they apply within the states of the union? Uh, do they only apply to Federal Reserve notes? Do they also apply to real money? Uh, there's an endless supply of questions that you can you can derive out of a simple sentence like, please call us about your unpaid taxes. You know, you could. it says your. When you say your, here's a question for you. The name on the document might be Alfred Adisk. All right? All uppercase. And when they tell us, please call by your unpaid taxes, when you see Alfred, I could respond back and say, do you, um, do you, do you understand that Alfred N. Adisk, all uppercase, is merely an alias for my proper name, Alfred Adisk, capitalized? Yes or no? Yeah, or or or, do you understand that you know Alfred Ad is Addis is a is a legal fiction? In the all uppercase name, is yeah. that you understand that? Is that and what I you don't mean? Care if they say <laughs> yes or no. It doesn't right. matter to me on one level. I just want them to answer the questions, because when they send me answers to the questions, oh yeah, <laughs> the answers themselves are going to. When they respond to my questions, they're sending me a notice. They're sending me a notice of answers to your questions. No, they, that's not the title they use. Well, actually, you know what, Al? If they do, if it's worded properly, what they're actually sending you is advice. Well, I understand. You know, it's like, hey, hey, well, I did it. If I ask properly, perhaps I have to ask them for advice. You know, as you were pointing out earlier in the program, maybe that's a smart thing to do on this. Well, again, it goes back to what you were saying. What could it hurt? You know, here's the one thing, though. You ask for advice. Who can give you legal advice? Well, they say an attorney, but... Yeah, I know. And I believe, and I can't prove it, but I believe the attorneys are only licensed to practice law in this state, meaning in the territory and or the administrative district and or state of the United States. I don't think there are any licensed attorneys within a state of the union. I think within the State of the Union, practice of law is a common law right. And I think yeah, anybody I, I agree. hang up a shingle, go ahead and do it. Huh? No problem. I think virtually all of the licenses, and it might not be true that all of them, but I think that most and virtually all of the licenses that we see, if you take that plumber's license, if you take any of their licenses, I think it's evidence. I think there's a high probability that it's evidence that you have walked into their state of the United States, administrative district, territory, 
but you're, you have walked out of the State of the Union, and you're now in something under the subject to the, the government of the United States, and if you are, you're in big trouble. So maybe I don't want... Well, well, I mean, they are the maker of whatever notice it is, whether they're an attorney or not. And basically, you're asking them to advise you, give you advice as to, well, you're the author. What are you trying to say? At least that's one way to look at it. Well, it looks like uh, we've got a little, a little problem here with the connection with Al. I seem to be going out, but... Uh, Al seems to be having an internet problem, and hey, who knows what could be going on between here and Texas. Uh, we're having snow here uh, in Oregon, but I don't know what's going on in Texas, or it could just be a computer glitch. Who knows? Uh, but let's see. What to do, what to do, what to do, what to do. Well, maybe we'll just take a break here, and let's see, let's see. Oh, no. Stand by. Okay. Let's see here. Bear with me, folks. I'm, I'm, I'm working on this. I'm working on this. All right. Let's see here. All right. I can hear you now. Okay, good. There you are. What happened? I don't know. Oh, <laughs> Me either. I figured, I figured the producer must have done something. I, I don't know what happened there. It's, you know how that producer is. Yeah, yeah, man. But <laughs> and he never takes responsibility for whatever it is he does. Just we try to give him responsibility. You but see, no, see, the thing is, you don't have to take responsibility when you're already accepting blame. Well, that's what we're really talking about. <laughs> we're not no. interested in responsibility. We're interested in someone to blame. Yeah, there you go. That's, that's what we're trying to. I need you know, to get my American flag and wrap myself around it because that is so American. Mm-hmm. So it made this country great. Yeah, having somebody to blame. That and food stamps. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's what the American made America great. Yeah. Well, well, anyways, with the with the notice thing, I you know I had a thought here about another kind of thing that seems similar to what we're talking about because. Uh, you know, I like to come up with these things that, look, it, this is already going on, you know, like Jeopardy. Okay, look, they're, they're sticklers. you got to say it this way. Law, the law is no different. You know, they're even more sticklers. But this notice thing basically stops them because they do not want to answer properly worded, properly asked. They don't want to – they do not want to answer anything around the area – what, what evidence do you have that makes you think I'm a taxpayer? They don't want to go there. They don't want to, they don't, and then there's a hundred other questions they don't want any part of, and they'll just go away for the most part, unless you're a millionaire or something, making lots of money that they want. But even then, well, the yeah, problem well, they've got that. is they have people working in in the IRS, all they do is handle forms. All right. They just send out a form. They respond to a form. When you start asking individual questions, they don't have any boilerplate to deal with it. Somebody's got to sit down and actually read 
All right, not just to check to see if you filled in the blanks and you signed your name down at the bottom of the piece of paper. They've got to actually read this thing and say, what the heck is this guy talking about? And comprehend. Yes. Because half these people, they yeah. don't know that. They you know. don't know what they're doing. They can't answer this stuff and put a gun to their head. You know? yeah. And what it, what it reminds me of, at least from the perspective of putting a stop to it, you know, basically bunging them up to where they can't move anymore. It's like, all right, look, that, that's it. It's like a filibuster in the parliamentary system. You know, okay, yeah, I, have right. a, I, have a, I have a chance to talk, and mm-hmm. I'm just not going to stop. Yeah. And while I'm talking, nobody else can do anything. Well, until you answer my questions, you know, you can't go forward. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of the same theory. Yeah, it appears to be, and it appears to be working. It's worked for me a number of times. Me too. Uh, it's worked for a couple other people I know about. I can't say, I can't tell anyone that it's a perfect theory or a perfect strategy. But again, it's one of those things where it doesn't seem to do any harm. Where's the harm in asking questions? And in fact, down at the bottom of most of the IRS forms, they will tell you if you have any questions, please call 1-800-555-1212 or whatever number is down there. But they'll have a number. If you have any questions, they're admitting that they will, they want, if you've got any questions, call them. They're admitting you have a right to ask questions. Mm-hmm. All right? Now, on this particular form is, you know, I, it's not, I don't, this, what I've told you is what I've known about IRS forms in the past. This one does not appear to have, call us if you have any questions. That doesn't appear to be on here, but it does say that if you've sent if you've sent written quest, written questions asking for advice, and I don't know whether we got this in before we, before whatever happened and the program was interrupted. Um, but what I was saying, do we really want to ask for advice because that implicates a licensed attorney? And if you take a licensed attorney, I believe it's a confession that you're acting within that you're acting in this state, meaning again the territorial jurisdiction, the administrative district, the state of the United States, rather than the state of the union, which is to say a state of the United States of America. I subscribe to the the, the theory that there are that they operate two different venues. One is the constitutional venue with the states of the union. The other one is a territorial venue for states of the United States and administrative districts. If you take that attorney, I think it becomes a confession that you have admitted that you are in the territorial jurisdiction. Because I don't think there are any licensed attorneys within the, within the states of the union. And I could be wrong. I'll stand to be corrected. But I don't think there's... There are uh, so so my question so where I'm going with this is do I want to ask for advice or do I want to ask for counsel because the mm. word counsel is provided I think it's the fourth or fifth amendment one of them refers sixth. to your right to counsel the sixth sixth okay I was close yep. I was within two or three you know. All right, Sixth Amendment right to counsel. That counsel is within the states of the union. All right, he's not the licensed attorney, in my opinion. My opinion could be mistaken, but I don't think he's the. Li- I don't think that Sixth Amendment counsel is within the states of the union, or excuse me, within the uh, territorial uh, uh, state, the administrative district, the states of the United States. That counsel is within 
the State of the Union, in my opinion. I'd be prepared to write that down and use that, argue that strategy. I'm not saying anyone else should. Well, and it's like any time you do anything like that, hey, I, you know, from everything I know, this ought to be right, but I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, let them tell you. Yeah. Hey, I, this is what I'm saying here. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and tell me why I'm wrong. You know where it's I just kind like of... saying, you know, hey, I'm a citizen of, you That's know, right? it's like what you say at the beginning. Now, yeah. go ahead. Somebody, if you want to stand up and say under oath that no, you're not, go ahead. Yeah, right. Please, just, you know, answer the questions. I need to understand this. Do your taxes apply only within a territory, an administrative district, or a state of the United States? Do your taxes apply within a state of the Union? Yes or no? Within that venue? Yes or no? It's easily done, and I try to, I try to do all yes or no because yeah. that makes it simple. I mean, if I ask you, do you understand calculus? No. Everybody knows they do or they don't understand calculus. If I ask you, do you understand nuclear physics? You don't have to understand nuclear physics to answer the question. It's just yes or no. No, I don't understand. I at least know that I don't understand nuclear physics. No, I know that I do not understand calculus. So I can say, nope. Okay. So for me, I don't know. Um... I don't know. We can move on on this right now, but my okay. point, the point of this segment is simply saying that this form LT-16 indicates that you have a right to pose, you have a, not, you have a right to pose questions in writing. And beyond that, it even says that if you want to avoid your penalties, it implies that you must. It says uh, if you are penalized based on written advice, from the IRS, we will remove the penalty if you meet the following criteria. If you ask the IRS for written advice on a specific issue, it's telling us, it doesn't quite say it, but it comes very close to saying that you asked, you, you, you sent questions in writing. And they had to send you written questions, written answers. To your to your questions, and you know, if you want to just ask questions over the phone, I don't think it counts. You definitely have to get a written response. Well, I think and, so. Yeah, you've and the way to do that, to my mind, send them a letter, registered mail. Please send a written response. And again, the guy who had this a couple of years ago, he went through this, and a dozen, fifteen separate offices contacted him one after another. It was like diesel therapy, just waiting for him to, you know, make a mistake and not respond or whatever. And finally, they just stopped contacting him for several years. And now they're back. They've got another one. They say, oh, you didn't respond. Sure you did. Now, and let he's me got add, evidence to prove that the whole premise here is... Right. You know, let me ask you, though, for, uh, for my own uh, curiosity, and I think you might have mentioned this before, but what do you... What, what do you think is the value or more value by sending something registered rather than certified return receipt? Well, you help to support your post office, your your friendly local post office, because I think the I think the uh, registered costs about seventeen bucks. Ooh, well there you go. Right. There's yeah. certified is only two or three dollars. It doesn't <laughs> count very much for certified, but registered supposedly tracks. 
everyone who handles that letter from when you drop it off in the post office until it gets to the recipient. That's and true. Everybody and who has to handle that has to sign for it. And now we have a chain of custody. Stays, uh, it, it actually stays in a cage, a locked cage, yeah. when when it's sitting there, separate from everything else. And anybody who's going to move it has to sign for it. Yeah, that's what it's supposed to be. And the result is that while certified mail is interesting, registered is absolutely admissible. And maybe I'm making a mistake to use the word absolutely, but registered is admissible as evidence in a court. Right. Isn't uh, uh, do you know if not quite the same, doesn't doesn't reach the same level of admissibility. I mean, with a return receipt, it's kind of difficult for them to say, "Oh no, we never got it." Yeah, I get that. You know, I don't really care who touches it along the way, as long as you got it in the end. And I, I got a card that. here that says you did. You know, how are you going to? From come my in perspective, and, you spend an extra fifteen bucks, and you get registered and right. you may not enjoy spending the extra fifteen dollars, but just the same. This is a this is a step up and you're trying to create evidence among other things. See I always do registered evidence. You sent questions, they didn't answer the questions, yada yada. Right. Well I, I use registered for stuff that I absolutely do not want lost. You know, that that's what I use that for myself, but uh you know, I'm going to look into the, you know, the, uh, you know, when that would be a, a better idea to do because it is quite spendy and it also takes like three days longer for registered. Yeah, to get anywhere. Yeah, I, I believe that because every time they, you know, they they can take the rest of it and just pile it into a box and give it to the next guy and he takes the whole box and moves it, puts it on a truck and then on a train or on an airplane or something and moves it to Washington, D.C., and then they uh, empty the box and they sort through it and see what's inside. Well, and you know, plus... you really got a record of it. And it plus... Records, it takes time. Plus, plus, you just know the guy that's got to deal with the locked cage full of stuff he has to sign for everything is got to be the new guy. Yeah, that might be. I know I went to one. I went to one post office to send something by registered mail, and the woman working behind the counter, she just refused to take it. She just filled it out for certified. All right, I was so well. I want to do this registered, and she just ignored me and she filled it out certified. I think the post office hates registered mail. All right, they don't like that at all. So. Oh no, it's a lot. They're of reluctant work. to do it, but regardless, you can do it. And you know, you know, a certain amount of this stuff, you don't know for sure if you're right. I'm not arguing that I'm right about registered mail. I won't argue I'm right about hardly anything. But I'm telling you, where's the harm? The only well, there you go. Other than the fail of me, an extra fifteen bucks. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And I'm no, I, I think it's great, and that's the only way. Telephone calls are definitely out, and you can say, well. I'll record it. Well, fine, but you know, for your own notes, okay, maybe the recording's fine, but I'm not so sure the court. You, you know, you talk about admissibility. I'm not so sure they admit that. Admit what? A, a recording you made of a phone conversation. With I understand that, and on top of which, you're dealing with people who should be, you know, at least in theory, they should be professional. They're not likely to make an admission over the phone that's going to be damaging to them. They are, you are more likely to be bamboozled 
Um, writing, writing, writing. You know, it's all about writing. Create that evidence. Create that evidence. And uh, yeah, well, that's true because it's. Uh, you know, I mean, that's just my my policy is I don't talk to the government on the phone. No, I understand. Uh, I mean, I'll go to their office if I absolutely I to talk have to. There, I want to do everything I possibly can in writing. Sure. I want that written evidence, and I want to be able to walk in, and. I, and whenever I try to mastermind one of these ideas or insights or theories, and maybe they're right, maybe they're wrong, but one of the things that is in the back of my mind always is, can I present this in a way that a jury will be able to understand? I don't care whether the guy at the IRS office, I don't care if the lawyers get it, the judge gets it, will the jury get it? Can I present my questions in language? It might be a little tedious and time-consuming. It's, oh, my God, is he ever going to stop asking questions? But just the same, I can put those questions out and I can say yes or no. Give me a yes or no answer. And I can make it clear to everyone in the jury that this yes or no, anyone can answer. It's like, do you know, do you understand, uh, you know, nuclear physics? Yes or no? Anyone can answer this. This isn't, given that I'm only looking for yes or no answer, this isn't too complex. No. Anyone can do this. A fifth-year, five-year-old kid can do this if he can read. Do you understand nuclear physics? No. Do you understand? Oh, you, hey. No. Do you understand hey. that when I say Alfred N. Anisk, it means this and that and the other? No, I don't get any of it. I'm dumb. I'm a five-year-old kid. All right, fine. Just answer the questions. That's all I want. Well, and if the kid doesn't know how to read, he could just tell you, look, whatever you're going to ask me, the answer is no. I'm five. <laughs> are, you, are you four years old? No. <laughs> I'm five. Yeah. And I still don't get it. All right. Well, all right. We've got to beat that to death for now. But this notice and opportunity to be heard, I think this is a strong strategy. Um, and, again, main thing about it, doesn't seem to do any harm. What's how much trouble can you get into by asking questions? <laughs> yeah, especially when they tell you. Yeah, well, you know, I guess. Let us advise you. I've seen always had a number on the bottom. If you have any questions, call this number. It doesn't expressly say that. It says they want to talk to you. It doesn't say if you have any questions yeah, to call on the phone. But it does say on the back side of this, on page three, they want the questions in writing. Or at least it implies that. You're asking them for written advice. I presume you have to send them questions in writing to begin with. Well, and they're, and they're telling you also, you know, if you did rely on uh, you know, our advice, you might not have to pay the penalties. Well, here's the other point. Yeah, you don't have to pay the penalty, but what if they won't give you the advice? Meaning, what if they won't answer your questions? Well, what is the maxim? The maxim is, by your silence, you acquiesce to whatever it is I'm saying. Obviously, I didn't send you payment because I don't think I owe you one. Yeah. So you just, by not answering me, you agree. Fine. Well, Good. We're done talking. That I understand what you're saying, but if you're only asking questions, I don't know that they're agreeing to anything, but just the same, the point, I don't have sufficient notice until you answer my questions. And you can't take me to the opportunity to be heard until I have sufficient notice. So we're now we're stopped. You either got to answer my questions or you got to forget about taking me to the, to the opportunity to be heard where I'll be found guilty 98% of the time. 
That would be my my preference. Would be just let's forget about that part. Yeah, I understand. All right, let's see what else we've got here. Here's an article from uh, Martin Armstrong. I don't know if you know who Martin Armstrong is. He's a trends forecaster. He did time something like five or six years, if I recall correctly, maybe more, maybe less, I don't recall, but a number of years in the federal penitentiary. uh, He thinks it was because his prediction algorithm was so effective that the government didn't want it to get out. I don't know. The government alleges maybe he was committing fraud or something. I don't know who's right or wrong, but in any case, here's an article from by Martin Armstrong. He's an intelligent guy. Um, and the headline is, Police Civil Asset Forfeitures Exceed All Burglaries mm-hmm. in 2010. Between 1989 and 2010, U.S. attorneys seized an estimated $12.6 billion in asset forfeiture cases. The growth rate during that time averaged 19% annually. Each year they served, each year they, 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 they uh, seized almost 20% more than they did the year before. In 2010 alone, the value of assets seized grew by 53% from 2009 and was six times greater than the total from 1989. These numbers are confusing, but the point is, by 2014, the number had ballooned to $4.5 billion for that single year, making this 35% of the entire number of assets collected in the 21 years between 1989 and 2010. And the implication is that the asset forfeiture program is picking up. Again, the feds seized $4.5 billion in 2014. And then he says, according to the FBI, the total amount of goods stolen by criminals in 2014 burglary offenses suffered uh, an estimated $3.9 billion in property losses. Now, the government seized $4.6 billion, and the criminals, I mean the admitted criminals, they only seized $3.9 billion. The police are now taking more assets than the criminals. So what are you going to insure against? What are you going to protect against? I mean, does it make more sense if there were such a thing? Is there asset forfeiture insurance? <laughs> uh, well, you know, I one of the you know this is, might be this might be a growth industry. Frank. Oh, it is. You know, we could start our own insurance company. Um, we could start an asset forfeiture insurance company. What do you think? Yeah, we have to have uh, a billion dollars in order to get it running. But other than that, uh, what's that? We'll just may you know there, there could be some bailout money for us. I mean, AIG got a pile, didn't they? Yeah, they were real bankers, though. We're just talking. Uh huh. AIG's an insurance company. Yeah, we're talking about being insurance agents. Yeah. But it struck me, you know, what do you have to worry about here? Do you worry about the burglars or do you worry about the police? Right now, the feds are seizing more money than the burglars. Well, and one thing that could be boosting the federal uh, asset forfeitures, what's going on in the states? Several of the states have wrote rules into the books. The only state that has gone all the way is New Mexico. All the way what? Uh, they have forbidden any asset forfeiture within well, the state of New thing. Mexico. That's a good thing. You can only 
do use forfeiture after somebody's been convicted of a crime. I agree with that. That's the way it should be. And it's exactly what Armstrong is, is complaining about. Um, he says in here, I can't, well, for one thing, yeah, here it is. Bloomberg News has reported that the Stop and Seize Authority is turning the police into self-funding gangs. Gangs. Bloomberg is using the word gangs to describe the police. They are simply confiscating money under uh, the abuse of the civil asset forfeiture law where they do not have to prove you did anything. If they just see you got money, they can take it. That's yeah. all. Doesn't matter. They say, well, you know, why? What do you think? What's the pretext for taking the money? We claim it has been involved in a criminal activity. Which is which criminal activity? Can well, they just pick one. Usually, it's drugs. But I mean, yeah, they I can say anything. We think that you, uh, you know, you've been illegally gambling. We think you were at some illegal card game and you won all that money. That's what we think. So we're taking it. You well, know, they can they say, say anything. Drugs, they can kiss their butts goodbye because. After that man or other animals thing that I did with drugs back mm -hmm. nine years ago, I mean, you want to talk to me about drugs <laughs> or food, federal definitions, you know. Yeah. You know, and one reason I think... Defined in terms of man or other animals, let's go to court. You know, states have started writing laws. Now, New Mexico is the only one that's banned everything. And why that's important is because while state legislatures, like here in Oregon... They've done it. They said, hey, look, uh, you uh, state police and sheriffs and municipalities, you know, you got to reel it in. You're not allowed to do this unless, you know, somebody's found guilty. Then, yeah. hey, then that's criminal forfeiture. It's not civil anymore. Well, the feds came up with a program. It's called sharing. And what happens is the locals will say, uh, they'll get on the radio and say, we got a guy here, he's got $10,000 of cash in his, in his pocket, and we want it. But we can't take it. The feds will say, okay, guess what? You are now deputized as a federal agent. Uh -huh. You can take it, bring it to us, and we'll split it with you. Uh -huh. And that's what they do. And yeah. that's how they get around the state laws forbidding you know, the local, the, the state actors from doing this, and they just deputize them as federal agents.